Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Tuesday, May 7th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague Maya Dukmasova will join us. It's the return of our dear friend and resident wild man, Mark Sims. And we're talking all things Donald Trump's legal issues. So it'll probably be a long segment with Ace Attorney Jim Coogan of Dwyer and Coogan. And now your host, not an attorney, <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Always Something Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend, everybody. Have a good weekend, Dave. Yeah, I mean, it was two days ago. <laughs> oh, kind of yeah. over the weekend, onto the week. But yeah, it was good. Rode my bike. Uh, wow. I did. Okay, yep. that's good. I rode my bike too, man. All right. All right. It was a beautiful weekend. See what I'm saying? And just the good vibes are sticking with me, uh, even though it was two days ago. Finally got around to seeing The Best Man, a movie that came out in 1999. Real dumb soap opera. A little embarrassed to admit how much I liked it. Came down to whether this one guy named Harper was going to get back together with Robin or would he fall for Jordan? I was like, no, go to Harper. Don't go to Jordan. He was really tempted, folks, but not to give too much away. He did the right thing. Give it all away. That sounds awful. <laughs> the movie was from 1999. I don't think anybody was, but I was up late watching it. And then, speaking up late, I was up to the wee hours last night reading The Reckoning by uh, John Grisham. I, folks, I know a lot of my friends in the literary persuasion are like, John Grisham, oh no, oh dear, how could you read him? I love John Grisham, all right? And this is a real page, sir. This is one of his best books ever, so I'm about mm, halfway through, and I'll probably be up till four in the morning again uh, this night. Excellent. Reading. <laughs> So, uh, as your coworker here, awesome, <laughs> cool. Get as less sleep as you can. <laughs> it's my life, uh, getting less sleep as I can. Anyway, woke up, got back to business, and what did I see in the paper? Oh, yeah. Looks like legalized reefer may actually be coming to the state of Illinois. How about that, D? I've been advocating for this for years and years and years. Way back when, when I first was talking about people, would go, Ben. Don't ask me questions about that. It's too controversial. You ever notice that, D? A lot of people come in the studio and go, Ben, don't ask me questions about fill in the blank. You know, <laughs> it's too controversial. Kim okay. Fox. <laughs> Kim Fox. Don't ask me about Kim Fox. I haven't figured out what I'm going to say. It's okay. I got you. Okay? I'm the one who's got opinions about everything. Anyway, I was for legalizing marijuana way, way, way many years ago, and I'm getting a big kick about how long it's taken the state of Illinois. It ponders this, this really incredible challenge. All right, now the proposal, as I understand it, I, and I know you're going to take a deeper dive into this, uh, D, much later in the, later in the show. So uh, the proposal, as I understand it, would allow up to 30 grams of marijuana uh, for anybody. And, of course, I'm lost. Uh, I may know everything there is to know about, let's say, basketball, uh, movies from the 70s, uh, and politics. But I'm really bad with numbers. You know, I mean, not exactly damn bis and measurements. So 30 grams is an ounce. Am I right about that? Yes, sir. All right. What's a nickel bag? 
Uh, less than 30 grams. Okay, I think there we go. Back in the day, folks, back in the day, all right, when I was smoking reefer, we called it a nickel bag. I mean, like, I don't even know why they called it a nickel bag. It was the dime bag, and then, the, you know. Huh. I guess the, there's more marijuana in the dime bag, hence the name, dime as opposed to nickel. Eat uh, your heart out, <laughs> Daniel Biss. Anyway, man, there's some funny stuff here with this marijuana bill. Uh, they're, you know, they're going over like, are we doing the right thing? They're really struggling with it. Everybody knows that it was as at best foolish to make it illegal in the first place, that there's probably no reason why marijuana should have been illegal. And whoops. Oh, whoa. that was my phone. Wow. My God. Put that on that, silent. That could be your dealer. Uh, anyway, Wait, there's no. It is. <laughs> ben, I got to go. Oh, it's a dime bag or a nickel bag. Uh, there's no reason marijuana should have been uh, illegal and liquor would be uh, legal. We all know that. You know, from practical experience, being around people who are drinking and people who are smoking reefer. But for for what whatever reason, and it's probably racial, uh, it marijuana was illegal and alcohol was legal. So anyway, now we're struggling with this, pretending like this is a real serious concern. Anyway, guess who weighs in? Mike Madigan weighs in. Yeah, we're going to be talking about this later as well, D. I know that, but I just couldn't help to mention it now. It was in my beloved bright one. That's a newspaper, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, we got a no, camera. show those live streamers. Yeah, well, there you go. There's Michael Madigan in the picture. See that? He's not lying. Those are newspapers, guys. Anyway, Michael Madigan, the House Speaker. We don't hear much about him. You know, it's funny. He was the Mr. Evil in the state of Illinois when Bruce Rauner was the governor. Remember that, D? Every oh, yeah. day. <laughs> Madigan, Madigan, Madigan. The Tribune's editorial board. Madigan, Madigan. Yay for our teachers. <laughs> Yay for our teachers. Uh, Rauner. I bet you Rauner may have smoked a little reefer back in the day. What do you think, D, back in high school? Oh, absolutely. Corn cob <laughs> pipe and all. Uh, you know, well, we had really good reefer back at Lake Forest. Anyway, all right. Michael Madigan. I got a feeling Michael Madigan may be one of the few politicians in Springfield to debating this issue, who's never smoked. That's just my hunch. I could be wrong on that one, right? I mean, he's born... People think Madigan is ancient. He's been around here forever, but he is the same age as the Beatles. Now, think about this. Do you think of the Beatles as old and ancient, D? Uh, I guess yeah. you would, because you're millennial. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, so Madigan is... A, but the Beatles smoke reefer? That's my point. So if the Beatles smoke reefer, Madigan may have smoked. Anyway. He was probably like, what, 30 during uh, Woodstock, so... I would say that Michael Joseph Madigan, and I'm doing this off the top of my head without a phone, and I know Frank is all ready to weigh in and correct me, was 27. I want to say he was 20. Uh, Woodstock was in 1969. I think Michael Madigan was born in 42. So that would make him 27, if my math is correct. 27 during Woodstock? Oh, that guy's gotten high. <laughs> But it depends. I mean, not everybody who was 27 in 1969 was like a hippie. You know, he could have been like hating hippies or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> he's very concerned. Here's his concern uh, as uh, featured in an interview. Yeah, Michael Madigan gave an interview. And D, I believe you're going to actually be able to play some uh, portions of this interview later in the show. So I will now do my Michael Madigan imitation. Uh, oh, this will really bring in the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I actually don't have a Michael Madigan imitation, so I'll just read this. <clears throat> there are some very contra controversial aspects to the proposal. Number one would be the proposal for the expungement of criminal records. The key on that issue is how far do you go in terms of expungement? If we're talking about some teenager who's doing drugs and found guilty of possession, that's one thing. If you're talking about people who are actually in the business, dealers, and you want to expunge their records, that's a different case. Hmm. He's concerned about expunging the records of dealers. I, 
Not that I want to disagree with Michael Madigan, but I have to say this. We are slowly coming to the conclusion that the war on drugs, as exhibited by our making criminal, uh, making marijuana illegal, the war on drugs was wrong. It caused massive destruction to communities, families, individuals lost their lives, years of their lives, I should say. So the war on drugs was wrong. It was particularly destructive to the black community. So if the war on drugs was wrong, if making marijuana was wrong, um, excuse me, making marijuana illegal was wrong, and we recognize that by making it illegal, why would we not expunge the records of people who are selling marijuana? If we now say it was not wrong to sell marijuana or to consume marijuana, but that the law against it was wrong, then why would we resist expunging the records of a dealer? I mean, we're still struggling with this, people. If the law was wrong, you can't punish people for breaking it. We got a great show today, everybody. Oh, my way, Frank has weighed in. Uh Uh-oh, what did he say? You are right, Ben. Mike Madigan was 27 years old during yes. Woodstock 1969. Ooh, thank you, Frank. Man, guys, did you hope to, by the way, hope to see Frank at uh, the hideout tonight. We'll be there at 6.30, McDunkey and myself. Uh, who will be there tonight? Uh, Alderman Scotty Waggis back. I think we're going to be hearing from him later today. Uh, a tape from Fran Spielman's show. Uh, Alderman Scott Waggis back will be there. And Maria Haddon will be there. The newly elected Alderwoman from the 49th Ward will be talking about politics and the age of Lori Lightfoot. Maybe doing a little reminiscing about Rom. I'm sure Scott will be weeping with uh, <laughs> nostalgia as Rom heads out the door. Anyway, Frank, I hope to see you there tonight at the hideout. 630-1354 West Wabansio. That's off Elston and between North Avenue and Ashland. It's right where Lincoln Yards is coming, folks. You might as well go there and see where your tax dollars are going. Oh, my God, i got to tell you about this conversation I had with an alderman. But we'll do that later in the show, a conversation I had with an alderman about Lincoln Yards. Very revealing. Anyway, great show today. We'll have Maya will be here in about mm, 20 minutes or so. My beloved co-partner at uh, The Reader, uh, Maya Duke-Masova. And uh, it's easy for you to say. Duke-Masova. Duke-Masova. Oh, yeah. Duke-Masova. She always Ben. It's Duke Ma Sova. Duke Ma Sova. It's like matzo, yeah, you matzo know what? ball. You know what's interesting? You know, Mr. I know everything over there. You're the reason I get it wrong because you said it wrong and I just follow you off a cliff. But I've gotten it right since then. <laughs> yeah, well, some people are slower it's than like others. It's like matzo ball. Duke matzo ball. Duke oh. Matsova. Duke matzo. Duke matzo ball. There we oh, go. Oh, now we've now. created a new problem. <laughs> Anyway, Mark Sims, that's not hard to pronounce. He'll be here. <laughs> He'll be here at two o'clock. Got a lot to talk with Mark about, man. Mark's got uh, interesting ideas about absolutely everything. And he already was giving me grief about uh, our Stacey uh, Davis Gates interview from yesterday. Uh, so Mark Sims will be here at two o'clock and then two thirty. Oh, yeah. Get out your pencils. Get out your paper. Get ready to take some notes. We're doing the deep dive. <laughs> I'm ready. Jim Coogan, our expert on all things Trump and his legal issues. All right. Legal issues of of Donald Trump. Jim Coogan, of course, ace attorney from Dwyer and Coogan. So anyway, lots of political talk, lots of reefer talk, and lots of other good talk. But before we do any of that, the doctor has the news. Oh, so what am I, just bad talk? (laughs) You're good talk. Lots of good talk. But first, this guy. (laughs) 
know what it means literally. Okay. Hey, I'm Dennis, by the way, guys. Before we find out what's happening in the national news, oh, wait, Ben, you already talked about it. It's Ben Jarofsky and Mick Dumkey's monthly first Tuesday show starting at 6.30 tonight. If you're listening live or on the download, uh, well, come hang out. Check it out. Mm. Ben, who do you have lined up again? Scott Waggispeck, 32nd Waggis Ward Alderman. And Maria Haddon, uh, newly elected. She's, not, she's the newly elected. She hasn't been sworn in yet. Alderman, Alderwoman of the 49th Ward defeated uh, Jolton Joe Moore, the longtime incumbent. So, Also, live stream chat. What's going on, chat room? We got Pat Rod in the building. He says, what up, guys? What up, Pat Rod? Join Pat Rod. Get in that live stream chat. All right, national news. Mm-hmm. Still no Donald Trump tax returns. On Monday, the Treasury Department denied a request by Congress for copies of Donald Trump's tax returns, saying that Congress had overstepped its bounds in requesting them. Ben, we have boundaries all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, suddenly there's boundaries. Whoa. Yeah. Treasury Secretary Steve <laughs> Munchen said in a letter to House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal on Monday that the request from Congress was unprecedented and that he had consulted with the Justice Department on its legality. Here's the quote from Munchen, quote, In reliance on the advice of the Department of Justice, I have determined that the committee's request lacks a legitimate legislative purpose and the department is therefore not authorized to disclose the requested returns and return information. All right. By by the way, when he went to the Justice Department to get its legal advice, it's not as though he was going to a objective source. He went to a, a source that would give him the vice he wanted in the first place, everybody. They're all part of the Donald Trump team. It's not like the Justice Department is this independent outlet of lawyers who are viewing everything like, you know, they're Solomon. Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. The president should have to release his taxes, everybody. Other oh, president does. There's, the president insists that it's uh, he can't do it because he's being audited. But that, of course, is a made-up rule. Oh, you know, that's a... At that point, if they were objective, they'd say, you know, we see no reason uh, that he sh- you shouldn't uh, compel him to release his taxes. But they're part of that Donald Trump team. So this game will go on all the way till impeachment. In other news nationally, Democrats are still calling for the resignation or impeachment of William Barr and Donald Trump after Barr's handling of special counsel Robert Mueller's Russian collusion investigation or lack thereof. White House Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has weighed in. Oh boy, <laughs> oh it's going to be entertaining uh, here. <laughs> McConnell said that it's been more than six weeks since Mueller concluded his investigation of Russia's election tampering and delivered his report. And McConnell has called for an end to this, quote, Groundhog Day spectacle (laughs) to stop endlessly relitigating a two and a half year old election result and move forward. He said Trump's critics made Mueller a secular saint. And here's the quote from McConnell. Case closed. <laughs> case closed. Ben, what do you think? Is the case closed? Should we move on from the Mueller report? No, absolutely not. In fact, I love the uh, Groundhog Day metaphor. Uh, I presume he's uh, referring to the movie, Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day, for 10 tribute points. Who directed that movie, Young Dennis? Harold Ramis. Very good. Ding, ding, ding. Give that man a blue Mustang. And I think he's referring to the six weeks. Ooh. What? Like when the groundhog sees a shadow, it's supposed to be another six weeks. Or oh, whatever. is that what it is? That's what he's talking about. Oh, but I thought he said it was six weeks ago that the report was Yeah, really... but it's not not so much the movie, just about uh, the whole process. Oh, well, anyway, but uh, it, let's say he were referring to it. Let's just say, okay? Uh, in that movie, uh, Bill Murray, by re- recreating the same day every day, not to give too much away, realizes... Yeah, how dare you give away this movie that's been out for 30 years? What's wrong with his life? Is it 30 years? It's been a long time. Not 30 years. Can't be 30 years. 
Okay, let me do my math. I'm again one more time. Not Dan Biss, but I guess uh, someone born in 1990 would be 29 this year, so almost 30 years. Anyway, focus, Ben. Focus, oh, Mister Exactor. <laughs> um, it, in in the movie, uh, Bill Murray recreates the same day over and over again, and he comes to a realization of what he's doing wrong with his life and how he can change his life to be a better person. Okay, so the movie has an upbeat ending. If we were literally Groundhog Day, Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump would wake up today and go, you know what? I should release my income taxes because it's wrong for you to conceal from the American people what I've been up to and how much I'm really worth and what potential conflicts of interest there are. Just saying, if it were Groundhog Day, you would come to a realization, all right? Or you, Mitch McConnell, would wake up one day and go, you know what? I've been wrong to continually stick with Donald Trump as he leads us down a rabbit hole and keeps us from learning the truth about what went down in 2016. I was wrong. See? So if you want to use the Groundhog Day metaphor, Mitch, you got to come clean. So Ben Jarofsky says the case is not closed. We should not move on from the Mueller report. Believe it or not, Ben, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer agrees with you. Great minds think alike. (laughs) Schumer replied to McConnell on the Senate floor. He accused the majority leader of, quote, whitewashing. Here's the quote from Schumer to McConnell. Quote, and I don't have a good good Schumer impression. I just got McConnell, so I'm just going to do it as regular old Dennis here. Okay, so uh, here's uh, Schumer to McConnell. Quote, he wants to move on. It's sort of like Richard Nixon saying, let's move on at the height of the investigation of his wrongdoing. Of course he wants to move on. He doesn't want to move on. He wants to run away from these awful <laughs> facts. Foreign interference in our election and a president who is lawless. It is not done. This is very serious stuff. It is serious stuff. Uh, and listen, I admit, I, as a, a lifelong reporter i'm a junkie for news and i want to know what went down so uh, i would have the same attitude if it was a democrat like mm, let's get that to the bottom of this one see what they were up to in 2016 uh, but that's me speaking as a reporter junkie the the richard nixon analogies apropos because uh, folks old enough to remember realize it was a much different time in uh, 1973 and 74, when Congress was closing in on Richard Nixon through all the investigations of his wrongdoing through Watergate, because in those days, believe it or not, there were actually Republicans who def- uh, defended the investigation, were leading the charge. Lil Weicker, the senator from uh, Connecticut, comes to mind. And similarly, there were Democrats who stood by the president. How about that? There were presidents, Southern Democrats, most of them, who stood by Richard Nixon and said, this is unfair. Uh, and this is wrong. So it's, we had more of a bipartisan edge uh, spirit, excuse me, to both sides of the debate back in 1973, 74. And now, of course, it's just uh, Democrats calling for an investigation, Republicans stonewalling and say he's innocent, he's innocent. And they want to investigate the investigators. So in some ways, uh, D, we've devolved from 1974. We're not as good as we were back then. And we got a final update here. The White House has informed Congress that it has ordered former counsel Don McGahn, or McGahn, I always say McGahn, I don't know why, Don McGahn not to hand over documents subpoenaed by a congressional committee investigating the findings of special counsel Robert Mueller. Okay, yeah, there's a big surprise there. One more time. Don't give away any information. Conceal, conceal. Uh, as they try to rally their base against uh, knowing anything about what went down uh, in 2016 and what the president was up to. By the way, I just saw uh, the story in the paper today. Michael Cohen uh, going to a federal prison yesterday. We're talking about that with Jim Coogan somehow or other. <laughs> he, he was uh, Trump's lawyer 
and he was doing he was doing bad things on behalf of Trump. He's going to federal prison, and Trump's still flying around in Air Force One. Interesting how uh, these things uh, develop. Lots to talk about with our 230 guest, Ace Attorney Jim Coogan. He talks all things Trump. Boy, he's going to he, hope he brought his lunch today. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, he's ready to go. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. We're moving on. We're going to talk some local news here. It's time for what else is news. And hey, if you still think that Governor JB is full of BS when it comes to legalizing recreational marijuana use in Illinois, well, you must not have read the news from over the weekend. Pritzker is not playing around. Illinois Governor JB Pritzker and state lawmakers laid out details over the weekend for legalizing recreational marijuana in Illinois. By the way, just an observation, you can tell that none of these lawmakers actually smoke weed, or at least not on the regular, because there has been no procrastination whatsoever in putting this all together. Let a few true stoners in on this. Oh, yeah, this will never get done. (laughs) So way to go. Those who don't really smoke weed on the regular, getting it done here. But the... (laughs) Hold on, I gotta defend my marijuana smokers out there. There's a lot of reefer heads who are like they yeah, we'll get it tomorrow. We'll take care of that tomorrow. <laughs> it's always tomorrow. I'm I'm in that category. Whoa, a revelation. <laughs> but the well, la- wait, what's a nickel bag then? <laughs> nickel if you know bag, so much about reefer. It's barely anything. Oh okay. is it legal? Yeah, well, oh, yeah, uh, I guess it will be soon. Right. But the language is now in a bill. The ball continues to roll. We'll go through the details in moments, but for all of our Illinois listeners out there who are currently smoking marijuana <laughs> yeah. illegally, uh-huh. if I could talk to all of you just one-on-one for a moment, that'd okay. be great. Hey, uh, <laughs> please reach out to your weed dealer and please do not leave them hanging. They've helped you through uh, throughout the years here, so help them out with some uh, resume tips, uh, job interview tips, something, because they may be out of a gig sooner than expected. <laughs> This message brought to you by the Ben Jarofsky Show, by the way. <laughs> that was really nice of you looking out for the weed dealers. Gotta help out your weed dealer, man. He's yeah. been helping you out. They're Re- about to make this, uh, you know, all legal. Uh, i telling you, reach out and touch someone. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know about that, Joe Biden. All right. The following <laughs> comes from the Illinois Political Bulldogs at Illinois Politico. Uh, they, they don't smoke reefer. They're too busy working. Oh, I know. I'm telling you. <laughs> Although Illinois Democrats control both chambers, a few of them are on the fence and mirror the views oh. of those in law enforcement mm. and religious communities mm. who worry about you, okay? You know, just, they're so Groaning worried. Moaning over there. <laughs> There's, I'm worried for them because they're worried. Although Illinois Democrats control both chambers, a few of them are on the fence and mirror the views of those in law enforcement mm-hmm. and religious communities who worry about illegal sales and any addictive nature of marijuana. Lawmakers have made an unusual step of introducing the bill first in the Senate. Rather than presenting companion bills in both chambers, that's likely because the Senate has been the friendlier venue for marijuana legislation than the House, mm-hmm. which is expected to be a bigger hurdle. Now to the details that were laid out over the weekend. Illinois residents could possess up to an ounce, 30 grams of marijuana. And (laughs) non-residents, half an ounce, 15 grams. Wait, hold on. Hold on. You mean they're giving a break? Okay, let me understand. So they're saying if you live in the state of Illinois, you can have uh, 30 grams. Yep. But if you live in the state of Indiana and you come to Illinois, you can only have 15 grams. Yep. Why? <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> What's the difference? Yeah. Oh, it's a special bonus for living in Illinois. If your attitude is that leaf, re, reefer is bad, why would you want people in Illinois to get to get more of it? Why not just let the Hoosiers have more of it or the cheeseheads? They're not thinking this through, D. You know why? Because they're probably up all night drinking, <laughs> not smoking reefer. That's Isn't funny. it funny that the people that are writing the laws? 
that re- regulate uh, marijuana claim they don't smoke, but they drink? Why, why should they get a say in this? I think the only people, I think the people, they should limit the lawmakers to the people who smoke reefer. That's what I think. They. So 30 grams for those who live in Illinois, 15 grams for non-residents makes no sense. of Illinois. So if you're in Indiana and you got about 29 grams, well, you got a lot of smoking to do if the police come, okay? <laughs> no, smoke at the border and then cross. <laughs> oh, I'm a, when you're in Gary, pull over, smoke half of it, and then go take the skyway into the city. Well, that sounded like lyrics from a country. Song. Adults could have up to five plants if they're locked in a room, out of public view, and approved by the landowner. Wait a minute. Time out. You can have five plants if they're out of public view? Yeah. So you can't put them in the window? No. I can't be like, hey, look at my pot leaves, everybody. <laughs> okay. I see. The, this is the things they spent all these months thinking about. Uh, if it's in the window, what? I guess someone could see it and get high. I don't know. <laughs> Permit fees would range from $100,000 for growers and $30,000 for retailer. Lower fees for applicants from communities affected by convictions in the war on drugs. Permit approval would be granted to current large-scale commercial growers who serve the medical cannabis community, as well as small craft growers who fall under the minority business umbrella. A low-interest loan program is envisioned to help defray costs for business owners from low-income and or drug-affected communities trying to gain licenses. Well, time out. If you're going to give out low-interest loans, you've got to change some of these banking policies. It's very difficult for uh, people who are legally legally selling reefer, a medical reefer, to get uh, any to get bank service. They can't even write checks. Last I looked, remember we talked about that with KC, Kelly Cassidy, state representative of North Side of Chicago, knows more about legalizing reefer than anyone in the world. And so they got to uh, get the banks to open up uh, their business with the, the marijuana dealers, uh, legal marijuana dealers, and that'll require some change at the federal level with the Trump administration. So The bill's sweeping criminal and social justice considerations include plans to use an automated system to expunge roughly 800,000 marijuana convictions mm-hmm. and allow those with pot convictions to work in the legal cannabis industry. And when it comes to the workplace, employers would still be able to have workplace drug policies and maintain, quote, reasonable policies for testing, smoking, consumption, storage, or use of cannabis in the workplace. All right, hold it. Time out on the playing field. Stop right there. Now, see, they're not getting specific what they call reasonable testing. Testing for marijuana, that is one of the most perverse things we got going. And whenever you talk about marijuana, for instance, uh, I think it was, who was it? Um, There's a football player. I can't remember which one just recently got uh, suspended again for uh, being tested, smoking marijuana, having marijuana in his system. Why? W-H-Y, why is our football players being tested for marijuana? I, I don't get it. I mean, they okay, you test football players for steroids or baseball players for steroids because that gives them an advantage in the game of baseball. But why would you test them for marijuana? Does that give you an advantage? Let me ask you this, D. If you had a baseball team, would you want your batter high? Do you think it would be an advantage, like he could see the ball more clearly? Would that be an advantage to the batter or to the pitcher, for that matter? I would think it would be a disadvantage. Although, interesting enough, there's a bowling team in my bowling league called the High Rollers. Yeah. I may have mentioned this. They earned that nickname, by the way. <laughs> I've bowled with this team. The high rollers, high rollers earned the nickname because they, they consume a lot of reefer before they bowl. But they're notorious for being really slow. Uh, guys, you want to come bowl now? Huh? We're at the bar talking. What? 
So they, I cannot tell that the high rollers uh, have any greater advantage over anybody else by virtue of smoking all that reefer. So it doesn't give an advantage in bowling that I could see smoking marijuana. I cannot see why it would give an advantage in baseball. So we've gone way overboard uh, uh, with um, testing people. And so I'm just... They're putting that language in there. I don't like that language. I think there's too much drug testing going on in our country. And if any of the high rollers are listening to this podcast, hey guys, speed it up! <laughs> Come on, good lord! Yeah. <laughs> no, I, we bowled. I, I've I substitute for Ben's bowling team sometimes. Well, I haven't done it in a long time, but great I, bowler, by the way. I'm okay. <laughs> we played against the high rollers, and good lord, we were there till like one in the morning. No, the Those high- guys are getting stoned <laughs> in the back. <laughs> High rollers are notoriously slow Good when it comes God. to bowling. Now, we already know that JB is for it, all right? In fact, he's probably got a water bong pack ready to rip in celebration. But what about our other top political figures in Illinois? What are they saying? Mm-hmm. Well, holy cow, it's a rare moment in Illinois politics. Illinois Democratic Speaker Mike Madigan gave a press conference. We actually had an interview with uh, Madigan a while back, but he gave a press conference. Ben, you mentioned this earlier, but according to Madigan, there are still some aspects of the bill that need to be hammered. Out. There are some very controversial aspects or sections to the proposal. So, uh, number one, there'll be a, a proposal for expungement of criminal records. And the argument is that, um, yes, people were involved in activity which was violative of the criminal statute at the time, but we're changing that criminal statute and we ought to retroactively simply say, in the statute that there'll be a forgiveness for what happened in the past and uh, the records will be expunged. Um, the key on that issue oh. is <laughs> how far do you go in terms of the expungement. Uh, if you're talking about some teenager that was uh, doing drugs and was only guilty of possession, that's one thing. If you're talking about people that were actually in the business, they were dealers, and you want to expunge those records? That's a different case. Okay, I learned why he doesn't get press conferences. Good Lord, that was boring. <laughs> I tell you what, if I'm ever up late at night, can't get to sleep, I'm going to listen to that Michael Mad. Come on, Mike, pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, by the way, I already I I thought my recitation of the quote was better than his. Uh, actually, we got Maya in the studio. I'm going to ask her about this in a little while. But I am completely totally in disagreement with Mike Madigan. Uh, Mike Madigan and I do not see eye to eye on this. I Again, the essential point is this. We are slowly, very slowly coming to the acknowledgement that the war on drugs was wrong, that we destroyed a lot of innocent lives, communities, and families, and we set ourselves back a long way. There are a lot of people locked up, families destroyed because people in their families were locked up because of this insane war on drugs. So we got to let it go, people. All right? You can't just say, well, it's okay for some kid to smoke reefer, but it's wrong for someone to sell him the reefer. You're still punishing the person that sold him the reefer. If you're now rec- recognizing that the war on drugs was wrong and it was silly to punish people for smoking marijuana, then you shouldn't continue to punish people for selling them the marijuana. And that's what I think on that one, D. All right. And finally, we have a quote from Chicago mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot. Mm. She has concerns with recreational legalization of marijuana as well. Uh, let's see here. Uh, before the legislation was made public, mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot told Illinois Politico that she hopes the legislation includes enough safeguards to make sure we're not opening floodgates to give kids and teenagers access to marijuana. Yeah, that would go without 
about saying, but that's something a politician has to say. I'm very concerned about the children. And uh, so, you know, you must oh, so be you sick. Mean, uh, the mayor shouldn't go, hey, guys, let's just get stoned. Let's have a party. <laughs> but it kind of goes without saying, you know, it's like Dudley Do-Right stuff, you know. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. No one ever said sell it to kids. It's like saying, oh, I think that alcohol should be made available to 10-year-olds. There's a lot of people who drink, buy alcohol all the time, make lots of money selling alcohol, working in the liquor industry. Do any of them talk about selling to 10-year-olds? No, but when it comes to reefer, I'm very concerned. But, you know, it's like I said, it's something that a mayor has to say. And even if it really is kind of meaningless, we'll see what Maya has to say about this. I know she's got a lot of ideas about this. She's ready to talk right now, but we're going to hold back. All right, let's check in on Madigan, see if he's still going. Okay, still going. They would argue. Good Lord, guy. All right, but just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Illinois. Oh, Pat Rod asked me to break the bog out. Hold on. Uh, What's up, Pat Rod? Okay. And now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something. That Michael Madigan, okay. all right? All right. And Michael Wait, Cohen. this guy? <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, he's just warming up, B. Uh, anyway, Michael Madigan, Michael Cohen, and Michael Anderson, a kid I went to high school with, all agree. Hey, Michael. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Maya's sitting here ready to go. We'll bring her on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Maya is just loving this song. And yes, Maya, we are on TV. All right, to the camera. Uh, and, uh, man, I know you were uh, biting at the bit there when you were listening to Michael Madden. Oh, yeah. 
going Let on? Let me tell you something. That guy was definitely going to have the last laugh. You know what? This is this is an art form. Making politics seem boring yeah. is truly an art form. Mike Madigan, who, I mean, say what you will about the guy. That's a man who understands power and how to stay in power. And that press conference is a perfect example of how, like, people will just keep scrolling, switch the channel, <laughs> close the window in on their on their computer browser and this 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 is how this is this is how the guy hangs on to power well, he makes you think that he's boring that this is all boring that there's nothing here to see wait time this out is, so this you is, think this he is does power that, in action you don't, you, don't you, you think he does that on purpose as opposed to that's just who he is well i mean okay maybe it's just who he is and so he has an extraordinary he was extraordinarily lucky to have this brilliant combo of those <laughs> kinds of ambitious and ambitions and that kind of personality or i mean it could be an act doesn't matter the effect is the same yeah it's all coming together all right let's talk about the merits of what he was saying mm -hmm. let's talk about legalizing reefer uh i don't know if, have we ever had a conversation i can't remember if we had a conversation on the air about legalizing marijuana. I presume uh, you, of course, are for the legalization of marijuana. I'm yeah. making that assumption. Um, correct a, assumption. A correct assumption. And uh, I, I really have a lot of issues with the way, you may have heard me going on about this, get your thoughts on this, the way we still cling to these notions that there's something abhorrent about marijuana or something frightening or scary. We can't let go. We can't acknowledge that the war on drugs was wrong and that by making marijuana use seem so horrendous and horrific, we ruined a lot of lives. You know what I'm saying? We still, we can't acknowledge that. It's, it's almost as though um, if we acknowledge that, then we're, we're culpable for what we did as a society, as a greater No, I society. think we can acknowledge that. It's just when it comes to actually like making some sort of reparations for that, that's when people get all uncomfortable. Um, and it, it's, to be honest, like it's, it's, um, it's kind of interesting, like where, like where does the objection come from? Because I'm pretty sure that like in your, uh, uh you know, in a, in a lot of communities, whether they were hit hard by the war or drugs or not, I feel like it's pretty well established now that policing uh, marijuana the way that it that it has been has just been a, like a, a, a colossal stupidity, a huge waste of time and money, ex like extremely, um, you know, it's d d very, very harmful to uh, African-Americans who have been hit the hardest by this type of policing. And, um, you know, I, I frankly have not encountered in quite some time anybody who s like s says that legalizing marijuana is a bad idea or that like the war on drugs is stupid or, or that the war on drugs was a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, w the thing that I think we see is a hesitancy around talking about reparations for the harm that was caused through these very racist policies. Um, but that w w why are politicians like Madigan or Lori Lightfoot hesitant to you know not not hedge around this like hesitant to just come out and say you know what yeah we need to we need to like uh deal with all these people who are in prison or you know currently or have been um for these drug charges whether it's for selling marijuana or using marijuana we need to you know issue some sort of pardons we need to um you know expunge people's records we need to give them certificates of, of innocence or wh whatever right i think that the 
thing that they're afraid of isn't that people are going to say, oh, but like marijuana is scary and dangerous. And this is like, this is, um, you know, this, this is like encourage, encouraging marijuana use or, or anything like that. I think what they're, what the, the, the political calculation around that must be that they're worried about how it's going to look for them to appear to want to give away something to black people. I think that's what they're worried about. Mm, well, I think that they are worried about backlash against which that would be real. That we have a very well documented oh history of that in this country. Anytime you have anything that looks like any sort of benefits to yeah. black people that are going to, you know, mitigate some of the harms our society and government have have unleashed on their communities for generations, like that that politicians are very reticent to uh, deal with that, and because they don't they're they, they're afraid to hear it from their constituents that, oh, like, this is somehow unfairly, this is something unfair, this is some sort of unfair giveaway to people who don't deserve it. Well, right now, the law is such that uh, marijuana has effectively been legal uh, for white people for a long time. Uh, that, that When I first, I've, I know I've told you this before, I've said on the air, I don't know if you were here, when I first really started uh, focusing on uh, the legalization of marijuana as an issue, something I would write about, a lot of, it was triggered by happenstance where I was riding my bike down the street one day and I saw a large congregation of teenagers, most of them white, mm -hmm. openly smoking reefer on the corner, just walking down the street and they went to, um, I forget what they called it, it was like pot fest or something like that, right out in the open. In, I'm, <laughs> pot, I'm not, fest. pot fest or something, it was something like that, reefer fest, I don't know. Uh, and uh, in, in Lincoln Park, it was, uh, it was in the middle of the day. I'm like, dang, I thought this was illegal. I, I've know? missed pot fest every year. <laughs> Where is it? So really not conducive to stoner culture. <laughs> no, you know? yeah, yeah. No. Something that you have to be somewhere to Grass time. fest. Grass fest? <laughs> Grass never fest. Never hoid of it. Yeah, grazing in the grass. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, McDumkin and I were writing stories about the, the thousands of uh, uh, black people who were arrested mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, routinely brought through uh, circuit court here in Chicago for uh, possession. Mm -hmm. And it was a way of just arresting, harassing black people. Uh, meanwhile, these white kids were walking to pot fest or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're absolutely correct. There's always been um, there's always been this double standard when it comes to marijuana, racial double standard. But there are people who are saying, slow down, today's Sun Times, State Representative Marty Moylan from De Plain, Des Plaines, excuse me, I gave it a French pronunciation, is imploring Illinoisans to join him in throwing a wrench in the growing momentum to legalize marijuana in Illinois. Quote, there's other ways to generate revenue, not in the backs of our kids and young adults who are going to be addicted and sucked into this. I'm just reading this quote. I guarantee you that guy's kids are smoking marijuana. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the views expressed by Maya, uh, those are Maya, not the Ben Drops. No, show. I mean this is uh, this is uh, this is this is like I don't know much about Desplaines, but I I'm guessing that he's got quite a few conservative constituents uh, who, yeah, this is this is all like this is all pandering. This is all pandering to. There's like a growing in I, my understanding of this landscape, kind of in Illinois, uh, the politics around this issue is that. Obviously, you've got you know Chicago, big metropolitan center, much more much more liberal. There's all kinds of uh, 
reasons why you know we we like we need revenue. We want to tax and regulate this so the so the government can make money off selling uh, selling marijuana. We don't want to deal with the administrative costs of um, you know of of of, of criminalization of marijuana. Um, it's like too expensive and too and and it's a dumb waste of money and time to police this to prosecute this. Um, we even have maybe some benevolent liberal kind of like wanting to do the make reparations for the war on drugs right and then there's this whole uh you know other contingent of 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 people in the state like rural uh folks who want to be able to grow it who Mm -hmm. see this as a as a potential source of revenue for agriculture that are also pushing their legislators to legalize for that reason um and then I, I'm get this like desplains, you know, <laughs> slice of, of Illinois. Yeah. I think this is just like this kind of su- suburban sort of conservative lands, more conservative leaning landscape where ne- they 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 kind of are in on neither side of the issue in terms of like well we need to like generate money by harvesting this stuff or we need to like save money by not policing it anymore um you know this is so this is just like a political jousting yeah well there's you know a, this is pandering probably pandering, pandering to is the key word. pandering is the key word because um there's still a group of voters who are reluctant to sign on to the legalization of marijuana. And I think when I hear Michael Madigan talk about it, we played that clip that, you know. Uh, Does that shock you? Uh, no, that when I, Michael Madigan is a very strategic political uh, operative, let's be honest. I don't know if he, I, I, whenever I hear him discuss an issue, no matter what the issue is, I always like translate into political operations and political strategy. So I don't know what uh, Michael Madigan's real beliefs on marijuana are. I don't know if he has any. For he all probably I, doesn't care. Probably doesn't. He or, probably doesn't care. For, for all I know, he loves the Grateful Dead and he's smoking reefer every night. Right now. Right as now, we as we speak, with that apple. He's you know, there's some guys. It's actually smoking. an apple bong. It's mo- yeah, an apple bong. Maya knowing what an apple bong. Teddy's reader writers know their stuff. Uh, so for all I know, he's, he smokes reefer through that apple every day. But strategically, he's thinking about his uh, caucus members, his Democrats, who may have a hard time signing on to legislation, as you point out, mm-hmm. that like looks weak on drug dealers. Mm-hmm. So you notice he's like he differentiates between a teenager who smoked reefer and a drug dealer who sells reefer, even though I don't see a strong distinction there. Yeah, it's probably another teenager. <laughs> like, listen, let, let's be real. Like, the day, the days of, like, I don't know. I feel like the money in drugs these days is, like, much more in related to, in, 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 in the opiate kind of business, mm-hmm. right? Like, drug cartels are, uh, like, this is not, this is not, like, 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 the Mexican drug cartels, for example, right, whose big business is like heroin, uh, you know, meth, like those cartels, if you all watch Narcos, this is sort of the story that it tells in this latest season is about how these like the Sinaloa cartel like started out as a marijuana cartel. And that was like, you know, hugely profitable. But then they 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 got onto the they got this idea of like moving into cocaine and the and the money there was just like astronomically higher. It was the, the business changed over time. I mean, the 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 notion that the, we have these like big 
you know, kingpins running these sophisticated business operations based on marijuana, I think this is like very outdated. Like I think that the drug business, the criminalized, you know, the, the criminal kind of uh, side of the drug business where there's like these organized crime rings around it. Like I don't get the sense that they're very focused on marijuana anymore. Mm. That's not where the money is as much. So yeah, I mean, there's these are probably like if if you buy weed on the street in Chicago, like it's probably coming somewhere at the top, like the gr- wherever it's growing, that's under the control of probably some kind of, you know, a bigger organization or whatever. But the point is that like that, you know, those people, if they were ever caught, like they're like they were prosecuted by the feds. Like those people are like the, the whatever kingpins that mm-hmm. stood at the top of these organizations, like that's not who's sitting in like the state penitentiary today you know that that, that's you know for for getting busted for running a a marijuana ring like those those people like the dea was on those people and it's kind of a separate conversation around doing reparations around that but that's like not for the state of illinois to be talking about the people who went to prison in the state in the state prison system for selling drugs are like low-level people yeah so, Absolutely. so yeah, the, this, the, 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 like you said, like this, by this, like differentiation between the user and the seller uh, when it comes to marijuana. I mean, probably, arguably, when it comes to any drug, is like you know, it's it's like it's a manufactured. Thing. It's a meaningless thing if you think it through the way you did and analyze it the way you did. But in, uh, I think in the minds of many voters, uh, there is some kind of distinction. Well, we cannot let a drug dealer get off scot free, and that's what Michael Madigan is driving him. I don't think Michael Madigan has thought through the uh, the logistics of what he's saying. I don't think he's viewing it logically the way you no, are. No, he probably did think it through. He just wants to not say anything. He doesn't want to make any firm commitments to anything. He wants to signal that he still cares about that's you know not letting yeah. drug dealers off easy. But what I heard from what you played, that's not a commitment of any sort or anything. He's literally saying, well, there's this thing, and then there's this other yeah, thing. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> that's vague enough to get anything through the legislature. <laughs> right. Uh, or what he'll do is the favorite Mike Madigan tactic. In order to let it through... He'll get something from Pritzker. I don't know what. Unrelated. Yeah, something unrelated. totally unrelated. <laughs> right. <laughs> he'll get funding for the 13th Ward. Yeah. Uh, somehow or other, you know, he'll extract. Oh, so you want that marijuana bill through? Oh, well, I happen to have X, Y, Z. The other thing on our list of things to talk about moving away from marijuana for the moment, uh, Maya, was uh, the concept of liberal fragility. Uh, we were going to talk about this last week and then we ran out of time. Yeah. And we we're almost running out of time this week, so I want to get back oh to it. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, it's a favorite topic of ours. Uh, we could probably talk about it a million times. Yeah, and uh, you just. Read but my- I think ever more salient now that we've got the the new mayor and council right. coming. Let's in talk soon. about how it uh, erupted as an. First of all, explain the concept and. Yeah, I mean, okay, so j- this this sounds more complicated, and it is basically my the thing that stuck in my craw recently was just like talking to some folks, uh, you know, white liberals especially. Who are very excited about Lori Lightfoot's tenure? Mm-hmm. You know, people who voted for her and are just like so excited for this supposed new era starting in Chicago. And uh, that's you know that whatever that's fine. Like their candidate won. I don't understand how someone could be so personally invested in um, in uh, in a politician that that, that 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 they're genuinely like so earnestly excited. But what's even 
like more, more nonsensical than that is the defensiveness that I encounter whenever I bring up any kind of criticism, skepticism or cynicism about Lori Lightfoot to these people. Like it's just, it's like, you know, I, I get the sense that people just want to ha- feel that they made the right and good choice and they don't want to have to think about it again. Like the, the, and it's not like a, to, to, for, for, for some, when someone says to you, yeah, like, I don't know if Lori Lightfoot is, is going to like make good on her promises that I don't know why that's a, per, that feels like a personal indictment to someone. And you, you talk to these people all the time, Ben, <laughs> you, maybe, you know, have a better insight. Into uh, just, this, they're always mad at me. <laughs> they're all, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, it's like, why, why? Yeah. Uh, okay. So you voted for this yeah. person. You thought that was the best person out of a choice of two, yeah. right? Maybe you thought Ultimately, it was the best person yeah. out of the choice of whatever 16 initially but some of these people also had other choices in the first round Mm -hmm. but it's like i feel like our kind of baseline attitude towards people who wield power should be like questions skepticism uh uh sort of uh you know trust needs to be earned not just given and then and then and then you see if you know if it pans out like i don't think it's bad faith to be skeptical of a politician's promises i don't think that that's that's entering into a relationship with a politician of bad faith they're the ones that should be eager to prove to us that they're that they're about what they said they were yeah well uh my you're uh, thinking like a reporter you're thinking like a journalist <laughs> now you're not thinking like a chicago and this is a very chicago view. i think it's broader than chicago but there's a very something very chicago listening to you very what you're saying i i went through this with rom uh with rom lovers and they're out there still god <laughs> is, any, is anyone still cop to that jesus that's got to be like a, a real social embarrassment oh no there's there's quite a few of them out there and um and then the, but it was really prevalent with daily um i used to get really heated emails uh and letters and calls from people <laughs> like how could you def- you know what's wrong with you like there was something wrong with me i mean mayor daily has saved this city and it's funny because now Mayor Rom, the headline is sometimes Rom leaves city better off than he found it. Oh my God! Right, and now he's having these like four sessions about his legacy. Yeah, right. But I'm like, wait a minute. If Daly saved the city, why did it need to be saved again by Rom? Chicagoans, please explain that to me. Yeah. But Chicagoans really want to believe in their mayors and the people that they elect, and so I think they're really like Russians in that way. <laughs> Explain that. Well, just I mean, there's uh, there there the, in in Russia, you find a lot of people who are like very much uh, like very gung ho. For example, fans of uh, Vladimir Putin, but it's not like I think the way that this gets sort of presented in in American or Western media is that people are too afraid to like criticize Putin, and that like that's why that's why that you you have this like appearance of a uh, that that he enjoys wide popular support, but like. People are, it's not, it's, it, it's not as much that, I mean, there's certainly that there's certainly like folks that are like afraid to criticize the government. There's this like long history of, you know, surveillance of like a cr- kind of crushing of any kind of opposition in the country through, you know, through decades. Um, and, uh, but there's also like just tons of people who sincerely believe that this, that this president had, has made the country better. You, you will, you'll be hard pressed to find anyone in Russia who lives, who, it, it, materially in a worse off 
condition now than they did in like 1995 when like things were just really falling apart even though um western observers tend to kind of you know look at the 90s as this moment of like a flourishing of democracy uh in russia like for a lot of regular people in russia it was a time of like just like like a hellish time when like you couldn't find food to eat when like there was just like rampant criminal activity everywhere when yeah some people were able to get rich and yeah there were like newspapers that you know there was freedom of the press but like for a lot of people that's not worth much if they like couldn't afford to feed themselves or they like couldn't feel safe on the streets so my point being is that like things have changed it's come at this like extreme cost of like a curtailing of all kinds of um you know rights and liberties and opportunities but on the other hand like people are materially living better and they think that their country has improved they think that their country is respected and like yeah and like and and critics of putin are just like not giving him a chance or like not you know like the, 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 the it's the same defensive attitude that yeah. like people just kind of believe that this is this this person is like taking care of us we see that the are you know the environment improving and if and this is what you pointed out when i brought this up about the liberals it's like chicago has worked for these people to them the city has improved you know the planters with the flowers on michigan avenue and you know the lake the 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 riverfront development that's you know the cleaning up of the chicago river so they can kayak on it you know like <laughs> yeah. the like the 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 the, the the, the destruction of public housing so they don't have to look at those ugly towers when they drive up, you know, yeah. the, Dan, the Dan Ryan. Like, you know, for them, Chicago has become but, a much more beautiful place. But I, I think Chicago has always worked for this constituency, worked uh, for them uh, during Harold Washington's years, it worked for them during Daly's years, and it worked for them uh, during Rahm's years. I sense and vehemently disagree with me if you want, which I know you will, <laughs> if you choose. Uh, I sense that even... The lakefront liberal types were turning against Rom, and I sense that was probably um, something that was revealed to him in polls that he and his uh, backers took way back when in September. Um, I just have this feeling. Well, yeah, that I mean, because they, these people, even they turned against right. them. And these people are uh, these people are now like gung ho Lori Lightfoot fans. Of, like they're not these if you're having the conversation with them now like they're not going to be in the same breath saying Ramos great and saying how great great Lori is going to be yeah like now the posh <laughs> thing to do is yeah. to talk shit about Ram you know but but um I don't know I just find I just find uh I just find it like yeah. this like it's like a very strangely naive attitude that people have that like of like assuming oh we need to give this person the benefit of the battle no, like, let's give them the keys to the city yeah. literally the most powerful position in our local government and then like our attitude should be oh yeah okay they're gonna do well with this like yeah. that's not literally that's literally how not how the world works like in most every other <laughs> circumstance like people have to earn trust yeah. they have to earn power and winning an election is not the same thing as 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 like making good on a, on promises all right now uh let me try to get you to go counter okay all right uh so there's we could you and i could talk uh, for hours about all the things that uh, Mayor Rahm did wrong uh, at, with, with his tenure as mayor, all right? Mm -hmm. uh, so he's leaving office. So find your inner I love you, Rahm, that must <laughs> exist somewhere, maybe not. Uh, can you think of something Rahm did that is positive uh, for the city of Chicago? Well, he supported, I guess he supported the restaurant industry quite a bit. Um, 
Very you know, well. there's uh, a <laughs> small business, a lot of small business yeah. uh, owners, uh, you know, people who are in the restaurant, you know, brewery kind of sector think, you know, say that he's been good to them, that that he's been a big booster for making Chicago uh, a destination, um, uh, you know, for 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 people to come and know that this is not just a place for, you know, excellent ketchupless hot dogs and schlitz but like you know <laughs> cra- there's great, anything wrong yeah, with craft, <laughs> great great craft beer and 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 world-class restaurants you so know he's brewery friendly yeah he's brewery friendly he's restaurant friendly he's theater friendly i think that he's got a lot of friends in the theater community but again all of this stuff is like yeah okay yes daily right was, you know, but, but i think you have to at, the, at some point like i don't know how you can absorb those things that are you know good about like those are things that are comparatively easier to be good on you know what i mean like this this is very different like i don't know how you can hold that and say that that's that's his legacy and that's what he deserves praise for when at the same time like the conditions of life in the poorest neighborhoods in the city are like they still suck Mm -hmm. like if they, they and they've gotten worse in a lot of ways and all he's ever done is like, you know, finger point, increase the police presence rather than increasing social services in those places. And, you know, and then, you know, wax poetic at these press conferences about how people just don't have the right values anymore and they just need to be coming forward and, 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 and you know, report uh, reporting who's doing the shooting. Like, you know, like ask somebody, ask somebody in, in South Shore what Mayor Rahm has done for them. All right, well, I feel like that's a that's that's a more important opinion than than, than my talking about right, his restaurants. Well, speaking of which, uh, Mark Sims is in the studio. I'm going to ask him these questions too. He's warming. He's doing stretching exercises. There's a lot of alcohol here. He's uh, come with a lot of alcohol. No, Mark Sims does just not come, uh, you know, with, without bringing something. Uh, one of our favorite guests. But uh, I'll ask him. Wait, this. did he bring weed? <laughs> Is it weed-infused alcohol? I don't know what it is that he brought, but I'm sure it's good. Uh, But it's so funny listening to you, Maya, because you're a lot like me. I ask you, say something nice about Rom. You start off saying, like, seems brewery-friendly, and then you I mean, but it's like... No, but then you end up saying... It's like me. Whenever I try to say something nice about Rom, invariably, I end up ripping the guy. But uh, I understand it's very difficult, and... um, uh, so maybe that'll be your next assignment for the, oh, I'm not allowed to say what your next assignment is. I'm just going to tease mm-hmm. big story coming from big Maya story next week, next week. And we'll, we'll figure out, uh, when she can come on to talk about it. It's going to be yep. big, big, big. And I am uh, looking forward to it, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. So we'll end this conversation. Now, Mark Sims is coming on. We'll have more political talk with Mark. Thank you very much, Maya. It's great. As always, we'll be right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Last week on The Fran Spielman Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with me is Alderman Scott Wagesback. And you could be, maybe, the chairman of the City Council Finance Committee. 
That's a possibility. I think problem is that some people look at this uh, finance committee chair position as a way to, you know, have a lot of jobs. I mean, I've heard that out sure. there. It's very simple. Um, a simple approach to look at it. I'm looking at it as how are we going to really reform the city council? And if we're going to do it right as the mayor wants to do, as she has a mandate from 75% of the people in the city, then we've got to go through and cut a wide swath and make sure that we're looking at every task that's happening in there. What are we supposed to review? Um, if we're talking about reviewing bond documents that come down from the mayor's office or from the uh, CFO, then we need to make sure we have people on staff who are reviewing that and giving us an analysis that either counters or is comparable to what the mayor's office is doing. It's the Franz Bielman Show, this and every Friday, only at the Chicago Sun-Times website. Chicago.suntimes.com There are some very controversial aspects or sections to the proposal. So, uh, number one... Be a, a you can't get enough of that speech from Madigan. <laughs> Boy, it's a good one. It's a good one. All right, the Ben Jarofsky Show, hour number two for your Tuesday, May 7th, is moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions for helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky Show. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky Show. And of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two. Wait a minute. All right, let's go. It is Tuesday, May 7th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of our dear friend and resident wild man, <laughs> Mark Sims. And we're talking all things Donald Trump's legal issues. It's going to take a long time with Ace Attorney Jim Coogan of Dwyer and Coogan. And now your host, the man who's got a case of the giggles this afternoon. <laughs> no, Mark's just taking notes already. It hasn't even started. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. All right, Mark Sims looking very learned with his glasses on. He's taking notes. No, my notes. broken glasses. Oh, they're you broken. Look at this from the dollar store. Oh, there went that they can see it on TV. I'm doing, they like spectacles now oh, or something. Yeah. By the way, we're on TV. So I, that's what I'm back. saying. I'm, yeah. I got to play to the camera. Okay, play. I was on for like 25 years. I love that damn Yeah, camera. he was on for 25 years. In the, old, in the old days, he interviewed me, and now... <laughs> We one day I'll switch. get. I, one day I'll do something. I don't know. No. I, I'm losing. I'm losing my mojo or something. By man. the way, somebody sent me. Uh, we'll get it. It's uh, the vintage, and I call it vintage. Mark Sims Ben Jarofsky conversation that took place. I forget how many. No, years the, ago. Oh, you know, go to this this YouTube they call it and type it in. It comes up right <laughs> comes up. Right, but somebody. My hair was black. I had more hair. It was a few years ago. It was a few years ago, and we were sitting in Hyde Park in this beautiful sunny day, and I had sunglasses on because we were sitting right in and, the sun. Yeah, we, we, well, yeah, I got TV's all about lighting. Like you said, they got lights here, but not you know TV lights, but they have lights. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was good time. And you were right about OJ. Uh, did, did we talk about OJ in that? Yeah, we, have, we did. I, don't, I haven't looked at it, but I know we talked about. Well, I was, so I was saying, okay, that and I was babbling about OJ. You, yeah. <laughs> you still hadn't let it go. Okay, no, you know how it is, man. <laughs> See, I, I've been picked out of a lineup, 
At, I'll tell you that yeah. story later. Right. At Belmont and Western. Maybe oh, this show okay. next year, I'll tell you that story. No, no, no. We'll, no, we'll no, talk, no. We don't have to. We, we'll talk about that when we come back. But, D, you have an update for us, young man? Absolutely, dude. Dude, if you wouldn't have said anything about your glasses, I wouldn't even recognize them. Yeah, totally. Show the camera. Show the look, camera. Uh, see, the, 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 the <laughs> thing broke. You know, I look. it's like, it's a dollar store. Get another another Wait, what's the thing called? Dollar store. Spectacles, right? No, but the what broke on the glasses? The little arm here. What you call it? Yeah, I guess the arm. The arm of the glass. I know what you call it, yeah. Completely broke. That's awesome. I know. I know, man. A few things here. First off, find us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show. Give us a like, follow, share, review. Tell us you hate the show. Whatever you want to do, just tell your friends, all right? And check out our Benny bonus interviews. That's what I'm calling them, Benny bonus interviews. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do these every weekend now. I can guarantee, by the way, that no other Chicago podcast has more content than the Ben Jarofsky show. Guarantee it. But anyway, we got content coming out of our ears. Three bonus interviews are available for you to download. Our first was released on Saturday. It's featuring our dear friend and soon-to-be former host of Chicago Newsroom, Ken Davis. After nine years, he's calling it quits at the Chicago newsroom. Ben twisted his arm and got this <laughs> modest man to reflect on it. It's Remembering Chicago Newsroom with Kenny D. Ken Davis. Oh, that was a great interview. Yes, and he was modest, and he was really, ah, Ben, no, do I have to? And I sit down, and we started talking. And uh, Kenny D. has been covering politics in this town for a long time, going back to the 70s. Man knows more about radio, Mark Simpson, than anyone I know. Kenny D. loves radio, loves talking about uh, newsmakers, and so it was a lot of fun talking him on sunday we released our interview with west virginia gubernatorial candidate stephen smith a little out of our uh, realm there in the ben Jarofsky that was show. good yeah that was damn good thank you sir. what's that guy name again? Stephen, stephen smith. smith that was real good thank dude. you sir people should, people should you know listen to these bonuses they're very good yeah they're they're different than the regular shows uh it's straight up talk uh no curse words no curse well sometimes uh, oh, sometimes that sometimes. mckinney one Get, yeah <laughs> uh and uh but stephen smith was interesting he's running for governor in west virginia is a Democrat in the state that has gone Republican uh, over the last few years. And he's running against an incumbent Republican who is a close ally of Donald Trump. And his point, one of the points he makes, is that Democrats should move away from the cult of personality, the cult of celebrity when uh, endorsing a candidate and should have a candidate who is thinking as an organizer who's part of a larger movement. So for instance, we talk about Mayor Pete. You know how Democrats have fallen in love with Mayor, oh I love Mayor Pete. I was in South Bend a couple weeks ago, but he was here. Keep going. Okay, and or are we how do you with that Beth? guy's last name? Buttigieg. There you go. <laughs> Shake your Buttigieg. It's Buttigieg, right? Yeah. Booty judge. No, I mean, booty judge. I'm trying to. Play. Yeah, okay. okay you're like, uh, yeah, no. Okay, let me set it um, up next time. <laughs> booty judge. Uh, anyway, so not so much on personalities, more on substance. All right, and our third and final bonus interview for you to download. The lady needs no introduction, especially here on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Around here, we call her Governor Gates. It's the vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union, the one, the only, Stacey Davis Gates. Oh, man, she was fired up on uh, Friday and when she came in. I think it was about an hour. Uh, Stacey Davis Gates, and you just listened to that. I, I listened today. Very good. She's always good. Yeah. But, I, you know, I tell you how I really feel about that off camera. Oh, you don't want to say it on? <laughs> oh, no. You don't want to talk about your teachers? I, I just told Maya that I voted for the mayor twice, and I thought she was going to strangle me. <laughs> yeah, dude, we had to hold them back. Oh, hey, I drop, hey. I drop a bunch of F-bombs. I, I got scared. Yeah. Okay. But she's sweet, but I still get scared. Yeah. <laughs> so but you gave her the bottle, so she's all good with you. Oh, right you got to get people a bottle. So yeah. go find those uh, interviews. Benny Very bonuses. Good. Benny bonuses Betty we're calling bonuses. them go find them chicago.suntimes.com chicagoreader.com or wherever else you find your favorite podcast we do have an update 
a Grandpa Joe update. Oh. That's right. Dr. Jill Biden has weighed in. Oh, okay. Wife of Joe Biden. On? Dr. Jill Biden, wife of presidential candidate yes. Joe, has joined her husband's efforts to put the 1991 confirmation hearings of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas accused of sexual harassment by Anita Hill, which hearing Joe Biden presided over as chairman of the Judiciary Committee behind him by declaring the episode behind us. It's time to move on, says oh, Jill Biden. All right. That's nice of Jill Biden to say it's move on. Uh, a lot of people are not ready to move on, and that's a perfect transition to young Mark Sims. was very young in those days. He may not have been Please. old. <laughs> Please. Mark Sims, the pride and joy of Finger High, ladies and gentlemen, uh, from the Roseland community in the south side of Chicago. Uh, and uh, so I have very strong memories of the Anita Hill. Uh, well, it, stop calling it, Ben, the Anita Hill hearings. It was the Clarence Thomas yeah. confirmation hearings. The Democrats, in my humble opinion, made a huge mistake. And this is how Democrats play the game, Mark Sims. Uh, they let Clarence Thomas get in to replace Thurgood Marshall. A disgrace. A disgrace, I tell you, to replace Thurgood Marshall with Clarence Thomas. You disagree with me already. Go. I was 1991. Let's move on, per se. But he's still the Supreme Court Justice. uh, Elections have Uh results. We had 12 years of Reagan Bush, and this is what you get. Yeah. And now you know, and I, I don't keep a, I don't get into the weeds like Ben does. <laughs> but you have a president now stacking the courts. You know All what right, I'm saying? Stacking out. the courts. All right. So the Republicans say they're against affirmative action. All right. They believe that uh, there should be meritocracy. All right. Now, are you telling me that appointing Clarence Thomas to replace Thurgood Marshall was not an act of Republican affirmative action? Of course, but it's, it's politics, man. You can't get too caught up into it. It is what it is. He And, and he needs to retire. How long have you been in? Like 25 years? Almost Clarence 30 Tom, years. 1991. I mean, 2001 be 30 years, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, he, need, he needs to go. But the point is that, what do you, yeah, what do, you do? Forget Thomas. Oh, we call him. Uh, you ever see that picture on Facebook <laughs> of him and, uh, him and the president? Uh, president uh, uh, which Trump. President Trump? No, no, no. And he looked just like uh, Samuel Jackson and uh, Leonardo oh, DiCaprio. From, uh, yeah, your movie, Django. Django. Go, just look up, just look up Django picture of President. And because let me tell you something, being an Uncle Tom, I wish I was a good Uncle Tom Negro. I yeah. got somewhere. It's good. It's a good strategy to be they Negro. See, yeah. like I'm your Negro <laughs> to be they Negro. When yet to this very day, you don't play it like you did back in the day. But when you were good tap dancing, boot licking, I'm not saying uh, Justice Thomas is per se. But when you were tap dancing, like I, people don't like me because I don't like to tap dance. I can't kiss booty really, really good when I want to, but I don't like doing. Wait, I have a question for you. All those years when I was coming on your show and you were bringing me, was I your Negro? No, no, I'm, I'm your Negro now when I start getting on your radio show. No, I said, but... No, no, you were just a guest. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Was, now, you know... Was I your white guy? No, no, no. I, well, if we were on, uh, you know, HBO, I would say, you. I'm your little... With a B. Okay. <laughs> I'm a healer witch. Oh, I see. But I was somehow... <laughs> but saying, but when got, the roles were but, reversed, but, but, what no, was I? What I'm saying... I was you, just you, a you have to be a... You have to be... What, what did, uh, what did uh, uh, Joe Biden say about uh, the president? He's nice and clean. Oh, you're talking about uh, Obama. President Obama. He said he's nice and clean. Well, okay. Makes it, he said he's a good Negro. We can trust him. All right, time out. Uh, do we have that uh, audio? Okay, I was doing this all last week. I love doing this. I'm up. Uh, put you in the hot seat, Mark Sims. Uh, so this is uh, audio from Joe Biden's first commercial. 
And uh, Dennis, I'm going to talk it to you. Tell me it's okay to play. Oh, it is okay to play. All right. This is that former president you just alluded to, uh, Mark Sims. And I want to know if this brings back sentimental memories and <laughs> makes you weep and want to vote for Joe Biden. Go ahead. This is an extraordinary man <laughs> with an extraordinary career makes in public hope. service. Get ready for the drama. Somebody who has devoted his I entire know. professional life to service to this country. He revitalized American manufacturing as the head of our middle class task force. He fought to make college more affordable. He suited up for our cancer moonshot, giving hope to millions of Americans. Mark Simpson drums, everybody. Council has made me a better president. He led our It's On Us campaign against campus sexual assault. Now, can I wipe the vomit off my mouth? (laughs) Okay, why do you say that? Because, come on, that's just, you know, it's just politics. We don't care. I mean, I don't think Joe Biden's going to win. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Well, all right, here's the thing. I I was thinking about this. I was going for a walk on a beautiful day on Saturday, and I was thinking about this. Everybody I paraded through the studio, and from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, et cetera, cetera, I play them that, and I say, do you feel sentimental about uh, uh, Barack Obama? Do you feel nostalgic? And everybody's like, no. And I'm, I'm like... I think everybody's in denial, Mark Sims. I, no. for, you people think you think people have turned the page. Listen, oh, yeah. Michelle Obama goes to the United Center selling her books. They sell the place out. People pay like a hundred dollars. That's Michelle though. That ain't broad. <laughs> so you don't think it carries over? No, nah, not not no. It's so many people running for you. That's why on that podcast, that great podcast, that bonus people can watch or listen to on the on the on the Sometimes Reader website. Stacey Davis Gates, you're about to go into it. Maybe I missed it. Why some black folks or why she don't like Mayor Pete. And I, that's what I was waiting for. Oh. She, I don't remember her saying about she. You mentioned Mayor Pete, but I don't think why we, she mentioned we, It was typical conversation with Stacey Davis Gates where we went on so many tangents. Right. Uh, uh, but we're going to fit uh, come back to Mayor Pete. But Mayor Pete, uh, mayor of South Bend, and Stacey Davis Gates, I don't know if you know this, her brother is a councilman or whatever they call the alderman. And uh, so they've had their issues. Uh, Mayor Pete has had his issues with the black community of South Bend. It's silly me. I didn't even know there was a significant black community. I was there a few weeks ago and I was shocked. Well, it's always a few of us somewhere, right? (laughs) In Chicago, another 20 years, there'll be a few of us in Chicago because we're still leaving. There'll be more uh, black people in South South Bend than in Chicago. Which is fine. But think about, and you look up, your listeners, look up the root.com, the root.com, Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete, mm-hmm. root.com. He has a problem with black folks. It's a very good article, the root.com and Mayor Pete. Very good. You should read it. And the thing about it is that he, but he always, I think he addressed this in that article I sent you about his, I think by his press secretary. Yeah. That was a good article. I don't like to read, but that was a good article. No, don't listen to the thing Mark Sims is saying. After almost every show, I get an email. You talk about homework, Mark Sims. No, no, read this. I just glance at the stuff. You read every word. You know what I'm saying? I do. Right? That Robert Carroll thing you sent me was excellent. No, Robert Carroll was on this other radio station. Yeah. Did you listen to it? Yes. I mean, the article, I mean, the on air. Yeah. Oh, that was good. Yeah. It was very uh, good. Robert Carroll is, I'm obsessed with Robert Carroll. He's, of course, the great journalist. Uh, investigative reporter did uh, is working on his fifth book on lbj uh, linda baines johnson anyway i was talking about him last week in his book working which gives the tricks of the trade all right so you don't feel when you look the obama just hearing his voice does it stir you in any way no please no do you look back with regret that you fell for it no no you don't even listen to that's politics it's bs what do you mean by that it's like if you can't impress what's the old joke dennis knows this 
Well, you can't impress people with your intellect. You dazzle them with your BS. So you think it's all BS. So you think Obama, the whole thing was just he's sincere, but come on, it's, yeah. You, what is he going? He's his vice president for eight years. What are you going to say? Joe sucks, and he's like to fill on women. <laughs> wow, vote for that guy. You know, he, that's not happening. Well, that's what he that that tape is actually from when he gave him some kind of medal. That was how he was. Yeah, well, that's what. You, that's why I'm not president. So why do people like Michelle Obama and not uh, Barack? Because Obama? Michelle wasn't president. She's not a political figure. It's like Rahm Emanuel. You got half the town likes Rahm and half the town doesn't like Rahm. He's a political figure, period. So in other words, she gets a pass because she gets a pass. Of she, course, she didn't have to make. Uh, no, any she didn't send nobody to war. She didn't, didn't like. A lot of people still mad at Obama. I mean, I just there's people I know who are mad at Obama because he didn't lock up the Wall Street fat cats. What do you expect him to do? Right? This is this is how it works. We lock up poor people <laughs> in Chicago. Next time I tell you that story about me being picked out of the lineup. Oh, talk but, about no, that. No, 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 no. Wait, what? St- I'd rather talk about, you know, Stacey Davis Gates, the school crime, and Lori Lightfoot. All right, let's But the bottom, bottom line, I, I can do the, sh- the short version was, woman said I robbed her at uh, uh, Clark and Diversity. This is 30 years ago, 1989, mm. as I remember. I could be wrong. Yeah. And so this is 10 o'clock at night. Now, that's 30, I'm 30 years younger, of course. And I used to, didn't shave a lot, so I had a little beard. I looked like a lot of people at uh, 10 o'clock at night at Clark and Diversity. Okay. But I'm like, hey, I'm innocent. I'm squeaky clean. I'm good at two shoes. I can go down to Belmont and Western to the police station. And, and he said, you want to go in the lineup? Sure, I'm innocent. I, and before I know it, she was like this. This guy, this guy, this guy. And the police, I'm not going to say that. I think I remember the uh, officer's name. I didn't write this stuff down. But he, nice Irish cop. He wanted to put me in jail and proceed. The, with, but he was cool because he, I know he went to my house. Just got married. I just bought a house in 89. I was in squeaky clean. That's what they told me in Ryder Elementary School back in the 1970s. Keep your record clean. Now, I'm not really an angel. I've done some stuff, which I'll tell you off air. Oh, but no. The, <laughs> this is a great This ain't, this ain't professional, Father Ben. Uh, but the point is that <laughs> the guy, the officer at Belmont Western, did let yeah. me go home because my record was clean. Wait, time out. All right, let me understand this. A woman accused you of robbing her. Yeah. And you were in a police lineup uh, at Belmont and Western, which I believe they're tearing down. That That's a tangent. No need to go there. Anyway, you're in a police they lineup. They tore down Riverview years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah River, okay. it's right near Riverview. <laughs> right. right. Okay, Riverview and Old Amusement Park, uh, you millennials. Anyway, all right. So how many other people were in the lineup? Oh, they, they, you know, it's funny. You get you get in this lineup, like this room looks like this. That's yeah. what the lineup room. And you get against the wall, and you're like, these dudes come in. Hey, where you get these guys from? You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, but the thing about it is that, you know, just like I was telling you about the uh, police, it wasn't so much about the police union, which I don't want to say anything bad about them on air, but uh, it's like, what's the old song, Miles, that Ice Cube did? He said, you know, the police do what? They serve, protect, they serve, protect, and break a brother's neck. Yeah. But they said the N-word. So I'm about to say the N-word now. Yeah, yeah. They serve, protect, and break... Okay. Yeah, I get you. Uh, I dropped the. Wait, did we? Uh, did we have to say that before? Oh no, you said that to me in a phone conversation. Phone, yes, we were sir, talking about Tim Anderson. Yeah. Oh, I gotta hit. Get, we need your thoughts on Tim Anderson, but before Tim, we go. No, no. I, you but before talked, we go I to Tim Anderson, Tim. I want to ask you this. So wait. You, no, okay. Go so ahead. Go ahead. how many people? Uh, I can't remember like five other guys. And so uh, all black guys? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember. As long, I can't remember all the details. But it was just, but I'm saying, I was So just, they let you, what, the lady pointed you out. So yeah, that's the I guy saw that, on the glass. She was like, yeah, that fool right there. I thought the glass was supposed to be one but way. It's like shadows. You could see her doing this. Okay. That's what I remember. I didn't right. write details down. But it could, what I'm saying, though, is that you're talking about locking up the brothers with the weed and, you know, come on. That, this is America, man. 
slavery ended, but it really didn't end. Yeah. You know, 13th Amendment. Y'all read about 13th Amendment and slavery. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? So it, it is what it is. And it's, and it's only going to change as a certain demographic dies out. Just like right now, Chicago is a minority-majority city council, first time. Mm-hmm. It's been a majority-minority city for many, many years. That's why a lot of the black wars didn't flip a lot. If I don't think anybody got flipped in the, uh, I know the young lady in the 15th war won. Okay, I forgot her name, Coleman. But I don't know. 16th. I, okay, 16th. Right, yeah. the old 15th. Yeah. Because that's the, um, Lopez is 15th, right? Yeah. See, you know this stuff. <laughs> but what I'm saying, though, yeah. black wars didn't flip. When you say much, flip, go from uh, like black Like male, dead male. They went from white to Latina. Oh, you're Latino. saying. Latino. Uh, Latino. Uh, in other words, when you say flip, do you mean an incumbent voted out, or do you mean. Like dead male got voted out, O'Connor got voted out. replaced by a white person. Not even that. Just a, the, the old, like my alderman, alderman. Um, you can do it. Evans, yeah. Thank you, sir. It's coming Pull it out. No, not Evans. No, no. Let's go. No, no. You're going, going back in time. You're a 21st. You're your 21st ward. You have Howard Brookins yeah, as your Brooke, alderman. Daddy was a state senator. I'm going. I'm going back. You, Wait man, you good. Damn, you good. <laughs> That's why you're the man, Ben. But what I'm saying though yeah. is that he was in two runoffs and he he yes. he, he won two runoffs. That's okay? correct. But the thing about it is that because our, our community is getting older, that's why the targets are closing because we don't have we have less money, and uh, we have a lot of privileging privileging and and people do steal stuff at the stores and then a lot of us like me don't want to go to the store because that's what that's where the poor negroes go to the store and so we may go to the suburb to the white target we like that kind of stuff and so the target closes but that's about a stream of consciousness by <laughs> mark sims i forgot where we started no, it doesn't matter uh, where we started I, I forgot where we oh no we're back at that jim uh, coogan's coming in uh, uh, yeah jim coogan will be here in about 10 minutes we'll be talking uh trump 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 but we're not there yet Belmont and Western, they'll let you go. So you the lady it. picked you out, but no, but this is interesting. The guy just let you go anyway. No, the police. I, I, I they t- didn't indict you or anything? No, I tell you, it was the benevolence, benevolence mm-hmm. of the officer. It was his call. But he went to my house because I, I was I was coming out of the house one night and I saw the police guy because he left his card in my my door in the door. Mm-hmm. So I saw him come. I, I backed into the garage and whatnot. I said, "Who's this?" Saw the car as the police. I said, "Oh man, I'm cool. I'm I'm innocent. I'm you know." But but you know it's. The bottom, this is America, Ben. What, you know your country, man. You know where you live, yeah. right? You know, I'm not, you know, I'm just lucky, okay? All right, now go back to the question I was going to ask you at, when Maya was leaving, and that is, uh, she said, ask somebody from South Shore what, what they Close think. Close enough. Yeah, and you're south of South Shore. Yeah, yeah really. And yeah, yeah. west of South yeah, Shore. Yeah, Auburn Gresham. Uh, South Shore, of course, is on the lakefront for our geographically challenged listeners. So uh, Mayor Rahm's leaving. You voted for him twice. You're very proud of that. Uh, You still have your Mayor Rahm t-shirt. Of course. Uh, Do you still, do you feel good about Mayor Rahm's tenure as mayor? No. Next. Next. Why? He did what he, I was a limo driver at the time when he was uh, running for mayor. So what Mm -hmm. I, my thing was this, as a limo driver back then, I wanted somebody to make some rain. See, my mom's from Detroit, like I told you before. So I've seen Detroit. As a kid, it was bustling. Then it fell apart. We know why it fell apart. Uh, one industry town and a lot of black people. Bad combination, right? And the key is black people and cold weather, too. To, to <laughs> okay? But the main thing is that so I, this town can empty out really, really quick. We say the yeah. state is emptying out. Black folks leaving. But this city can empty out very, very quickly because we're here because it's a great place, great lake, and we have jobs. Mm-hmm. And we don't have no jobs. There's no reason to be here. And so you want, I want a, uh, wanted a mayor that's going to make some rain. And he did boost uh, you know, corporate stuff because he's a corporatist. And the tourism went up. So I made money. Now, we, have, we had enough of that. Okay? Now, I met Lori Lightfoot right here in this room. That is correct. I, I still tell that. people about 
out. <laughs> and she was very sweet. She gave me more minutes than I deserved. And I hope that she will improve public education, especially for black boys. See, they, Rom touts the numbers that the, is going up. One reason why the scores are going up because black folks are leaving. Yeah. Fewer black boys. Uh, you know the school the scores go up. Period. End of story. And so, so I hope he, she improves uh, ed- public education for b- black boys, especially, and uh, stop the crime. All right, and I how, think she can do it. It, uh, it. Looking back to you, your scholarship days, your days as a young scholar at Finger High School. Please. Uh, I dropped out in 1980. Keep going. Uh, what could Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot or anybody do to make the schools better for, as you said, put it, black boys? The number one thing, everybody, some people have problems in school because they dyslexic. They may be autistic. They, of dyslexic. course, you know, I know yeah. you can do a whole book on it. <laughs> yeah. But if you're fortunate, like Ari Emanuel, who's dyslexic, yeah. and his parents, dad was a doctor, they had resources, able to get around, and now he makes a gazillion dollars. Mm-hmm. But especially when you're low income, even probably white or low income, that you don't get uh, screened or diagnosed, whatever they call it, evaluated for dyslexia, autism, a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. So you don't have those support. I think Stacey, gave it, Stacey Davis Gates would say, wraparound services, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's a lot of problems and then sometimes people are uh, they have to stabilize home when you when this you know when you make when you paycheck to paycheck and believe me i know what it means to be paycheck to paycheck all you think about is survival you don't think about putting your kids through school going to college even getting their grades then you have some parents are just indifferent in a good way because some people think it's the teacher's responsibility for that child to read which is insane mm. so the number one is to uh to improve the school is you have to improve the culture in certain neighborhoods it's a culture where it's okay to be cool it's okay to be urkel it's okay to be carlton right mm-hmm. it's okay to be square and so you know so i mean even when my kids were school they were still talking about they, they my kids was kind of teased saying, saying people like you y'all you got those straight a students and they, they got a couple of b's and we just me and the wife just go crazy we don't play b's right because i you know you know no but what I'm saying, they, Wait, they was, you got they, mad at your kid if well, what I'm saying, we, they, we, we never whipped our children. But to, but the point I'm saying though is that uh, you have the schools are not that good anyway. You got to get a freaking A. Cause go, you know what I'm saying? Come on, give me give Did me. Did you break. get straight A's? I got straight F's, man. Come on, why you think I'm here now? <laughs> straight F's. No, the thing about, the thing about it though is that. Uh, if you have caring parents with resources, you'll be fine. Now, did you? Okay, I do not believe you got straight F's, but the. Did, oh yeah, I did. Went a few times. Keep going. What did you? I take off here. All right. Uh, did you? Yeah. What are you pointing? Yeah, Coogan. Yeah, okay, Coogan. Yeah, 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 he's on his way. Oh, yeah. uh, did you not do well in school because you weren't trying? Did you not do well in school because you had other distractions? Oh, no, or so, were you sleeping I, in class? I think oh, that was a big daydreamer. I probably was slow. Mm-hmm. had learned disability and I should have become a late bloomer. But that was in the 70s. I started as grammar school in 67, man. That was a long, different time, okay? Mm-hmm. That was 51 years ago, whatever it was. And so the point is that the number one thing they did to me, that's why I used to fight. And I, I show you that article that Don Turner Trice wrote in 2002 or something about they sent a, a she went to the, my son's school because they were, they were ruining my son at the, at the CPS like they ruined me and I wasn't having it but what I'm trying to say though is that I got moved from the smart kids classroom to the dumb kids classroom mm-hmm. and I was I never recovered never recovered because once you buy into your because your identity I am dumb I'm not smart I can't do it it's almost like having a uh, what you call it a, uh, when you're in, co- in, in college the imposter syndrome I'm not smart as these people here I just try let's, mm-hmm. let's give up and you never recover ne- and I, I should work it out with my therapist but you never recover so i've seen i've i faced it i personally and i and i forgive my parents because they weren't raised in chicago 
They would race somewhere else. See, I know the CPS. I know it was a li- maybe a little bit better than it was, but guess what? I love Lori Lightfoot better. She don't send her baby to the, to the CPS. Ron didn't send his baby to CPS. I think Obama's didn't send their baby to CPS. <laughs> I don't think uh, uh, Arnie Duncan sent his baby to CPS. Mm-mm. And when you got that kind of money, Ron's a multimillionaire, you don't send your damn children to CPS. All right. The views expressed by Mark Sims are always those of Mark Sims. He is fired up. Jim Coogan's in the studio. Uh, we're going to bring him on and talk some Trump stuff. Don't go anywhere, Mark oh, Sims. Man, I, I made a paper park. Uh, we'll be right back after this. <laughs> Today's Ben Jaromsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Jim Coogan has joined us. Jim Coogan from Dwyer & Coogan, our personal personal injury lawyer. I haven't heard that one in a while. And uh, he is our expert at Donald Trump in terms of all the investigations, the criminal investigations. Again, to Monroe Anderson is our Trump guy. We combine everything together. Uh, and now Tebow Buchanan. We got a lot of Trump people now. Tebow Buchanan has joined the party. I mean, you make it sound like we got a lot of people who like Donald Trump, but we got a lot of people who can analyze yeah, on Donald can, Trump. Yeah, Tebow Buchanan will be on with us tomorrow. Uh, Monroe will not be able to make it. Tebow Buchanan will be here. We'll be talking some more Trump stuff as well. Uh, Trump, 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 and Trump. Uh, I have twisted Mark Sims' uh, arm into staying. He's writing something feverishly down again. Just don't break the other side of his glasses. <laughs> no. <laughs> They'll fall completely off. Uh, so before we bring on uh, Jim Coogan... Uh, to talk uh, Trump, Trump, Trump. What you got for me, D? We got a quick update here. Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot arrived at the White House today, kicking off three days of meetings 
in the nation's capital. I, I did not know she was at the White House. Then. Yeah, she's to meet with Ivanka Trump at the White House, Lightfoot and the president's <laughs> daughter. Uh, a senior White House advisor were to have an introductory meeting to discuss workforce development and other opportunities, a White House source said. Mm. Later today, Lightfoot is to meet with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And other top congressional leaders on Wednesday, the incoming mayor is on the House side attending a meeting of the Congressional Black Caucus. Oh, Mark Sims is getting the drinks out. Uh, Non-alcoholic drinks, by the way, sometimes. All right. Don't kick us out of here. Later Tuesday, Lightfoot was to meet with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other top congressional leaders on Wednesday. The incoming mayor is on the House side attending a meeting of the Congressional Black Caucus with her fundraiser at a government affairs group in the evening. So, everybody, I'm posting to the Facebook page here. I think we can uh, maybe help Lori Lightfoot out. Any advice? Advice we can give Lori Lightfoot and her uh, trip to D.C. I'm going to post it on the Facebook page. All right. Don't believe anything that Donald Trump tells you. It's generally uh, not true. Uh, there may be a kernel of truth in there, but it's if that is, it's an accident. Uh, oh, anyway. And I want to mention one more thing. Tonight at 6.30 p.m. Ah. If you're on the live stream listening to this, mm-hmm. tonight at 6.30 p.m., it's the first Tuesday. It's that time of the month with Ben Jarofsky and Mick Dumkey. Uh, it's a fantastic time. 1354 West Wabanzia at the hideout is the place uh, that you want to go to once again tonight at 630. And Alderman Scott Wagaspack will be their guest. Go check it out. Man, and Maria Haddon, uh, newly elected Alderman of the 49th Ward, be talking about uh, politics in Chicago in the age of Lori Lightfoot. Uh, Final thoughts of Mayor Rahm as he heads out the door. Eh, maybe a little impeachment talk. Who knows? A lot of political junkies When we uh, in the audience when we open up the room uh, to questions. You never know what questions are going to come your way. Uh, Jim Coogan's been about four weeks since you've been on the show. Uh, and the, um, oh my God, the wrangling that has gone on uh, between the White House and the Democrats as to what Donald Trump uh, is uh, responsible to turn over to the congressmen and the congresswomen. Uh, the Democrats uh, who are running the House of Representatives right now is just continuing apace. I, I can't even keep up anymore. Uh, let's see, there seems to be taxes uh, and uh, there seems to be Don, uh, Donald McCann's uh, uh, the special counsel, whether he can testify. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, what the Democrats can expect, uh, should uh, expect from the Trump White House in terms of turning over for their investigation. Yeah, surprisingly quiet four weeks, huh? Yeah, Not, uh, every day I was day worried something. we wouldn't have anything to talk about <laughs> yeah. today. Um, yeah, in fact, I think I tricked you. You asked me if anything had happened today, like as I was on my way over here, uh, just looking at my phone, apparently the Don McGahn issue has expanded to include an assertion of executive privilege over any of the documents that he had used in the in the conducting the testimony that had already occurred as part of the Mueller investigation. So in addition to asserting executive privilege over McGahn testifying at all, mm-hmm. apparently the new assertion from Cipollone is the, uh, the White House attorney, uh, they're asserting that none of the documents are available to Congress either, which part of the argument has been that they have already waived executive privilege as to his information that he's testified to. Uh, they are asserting that this is their way of trying to claw back that issue, uh, at least in the, the reporting here from, I think it was the Washington Post. They're saying that they, they exclusively made those documents available for that express purpose, just for the testimony, but maintain any control over those documents as it relates to executive privilege. 
Um, that's gonna, a distinction I'm, gonna, I'm not following right now. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm going to invoke uh, the great senator from Rhode Island, Sheldon Whitehouse, when he used the term uh, some very, very clever, very fine hair splitting when he was responding to some of the stuff that William Barr said in his Senate testimony last week. Um, I don't think that that's a there's a privilege there. I don't think that's a doctrine. I don't even think that exists. But. All right, so uh, that answers your question as to what to expect. So you can expand uh, help, on that. All right, uh, help people out a little bit. Uh, McGann is, of course, uh, was Donald Trump's lawyer, uh, White House lawyer for her. How long? The White House counsel, not Donald Trump's lawyer. Explain Important the distinction. Distinction yeah. because he serves the office of the presidency when he was in that role. Whereas Donald Trump could have a personal attorney Michael Cohen. if he seeks to do so. He can, he, I mean, he still has several personal yeah. attorneys. He has attorneys working on business things, he, which, of course, he's not He's not involved with his business, by the way. I, didn't, right. I didn't mean to imply yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's got attorneys working on uh, document issues, trying to advise him as to how he can manipulate the role of presidency in, in hiding some of this information and keeping these witnesses from testifying. But... The office of the White House counsel is an attorney to advise the president in his official capacity about the law related to decisions that are being made, uh, law of war, law of, you know, how do you fit with the Geneva Conventions when it comes to prisoners? We go back to the Bush years and the, the activities of the White House counsel with respect to torture memos. Mm-hmm. Um, but their job is not to be Donald Trump's personal attorney. So, so and McGahn never was. It's really important to keep that clear because did Donald Trump ever turn to McCann for advice on how to deal with all the pending investigations I think that he has asked him questions and part of the question is well what happens if you're all in the same room together what what is privileged and what is confidential about those meetings you can waive confidentiality by having a meeting with your lawyer and having other people present who aren't also represented by that lawyer so it can get really complicated but even if he sought that advice from him those conversations are not personal uh, advice as an attorney, and they're not privileged, which is why he was able to testify to the special counsel for 30-odd hours. All right, well, let me get to that. Uh, if he is the lawyer of the counsel of the White House, he, if he's, in a sense, the nation's lawyer, uh, if you're a lawyer to the president, the president represents the people, then you are a public fi- uh, official. Uh, how can they claim any kind of privilege if you're a public lawyer? Uh, isn't aren't all your conversations open to the public so the public can scrutinize what you're saying on their behalf? In a word, disingenuously. That's how. That's the manner in which they make these claims. It's not. I don't think that the law will support it. I think that the law actually would state the op- the opposite uh, to the extent that this might get litigated. Um, but. Whether or not that's something that has to be decided by a judge is that's that's definitely playing right into the White House's hands on this because the longer it takes, the longer this gets right. Delayed. All right, so let's go take it the local level. Uh, Laquan McDonald video controversy from 2015. Rahm Emanuel had uh, conversations. I believe the man's name was Stephen Patton, was the um, the mayoral counselor or whatever they called him, the mayor's lawyer, and he gave Mayor Rahm advice on what would happen if they released the video why uh, of the shooting of Laquan McDonald, why they should settle, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Could we, the public, uh, compel Stephen Patton to come forth and testify under oath as to what he advised Mayor Rahm, since that's similar, it's public matters. 
Uh, so the Corporation Counsel's Office. Corporation the Counsel, that's exactly, work, yeah. So they represent the city of Chicago. They do not represent the mayor of Chicago individually as a, as a person. Um, I don't know if there are any special rules, like there may be some kind of statute that governs conversations between Corporation Counsel, specifically in the state of Illinois. Um, so to, unless there's some exception like that, it would be a similar, the, the, the analogy is, is correct in the sense that he's representing the city of Chicago and any conversations that they have where he's where the mayor is seeking a legal opinion, unless there's some special reason why that should be confidential, why, I mean, why wouldn't that well, be? Well, in, in the past, uh, Arnie Duncan, who was the former uh, school board head here in the city of Chicago under Mayor Daley, uh, what did he say? That uh, these are confidential advice. Uh, that He was refusing a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information request from someone, I think it was a reporter, who was seeking uh, reports or analysis. I forget exactly what it was. But he was saying, he was arguing that these reports should be off limits to the public because uh, people want to be able free to speak their minds when they're giving advice and counsel to their client, be it the head of the school board, be it the mayor, be it the president, I suppose, that they should feel free to say, if, I, if you're my lawyer giving me advice, you, Jim Coogan, should feel free to give me advice without having to worry about whether it would be published uh, and you would be examined about it. Uh, then uh, uh, you wouldn't be feel free, and then that would hurt the president. Mm -hmm. Do you buy any of that? Well, there you had to go complicate the analogy a little bit because there would be a distinction over what Illinois' freedom of information law allows, and if you go through it, what things are about which matters can the public entity refuse to turn something over. There's exceptions under that rule. But specifically here, what, we're, what we may be talking about, and it depends on which documents and which information, but this is congressional access, so these are people who have access to some of those uh, sensitive matters that would otherwise be uh, shielded from public view. And whether or not that those certain topics are discussed in public hearings versus closed session, that can be one of the ways that they can get around the issue of uh, things that are supposed to be sensitive in a way that it can allow for a free exchange of good legal advice as opposed to something that's constrained because the lawyer feels like, well, I can't say this on the record, so I can't really tell you the right advice, and, and now it's uh, harming the free, the, the, you know, constraining the office in some way. Uh, so I, that could be a concern, but that's not what they're raising here either. I mean, they're just saying, number one, when you start the game by saying that the White House will refuse all requests for information and all congressional subpoenas, yeah. then you've set it up in a totally different manner. Like, we could get into the merits of this discussion if it were A, a normal presidency, or B, just one specific debate that was going on. But because they've taken this blanket position, they have basically just declared that Article One of the Constitution is invalid. In Article this is an ones. attack on the Constitution. Yeah. Every every position that they're taking in what they're setting up as a litigation, even though it's really it really wouldn't be. It's a battle between branches of government. And Article One for our listeners that, stipulates that's what creates Congress. And I don't think it was an accident that that is the first first article. article. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, things have changed since we've become to a heavily executive. You know, uh, almost like monarch. Uh, in our country, do you think there's any merit whatsoever to some of the arguments of executive privilege that the Trump White House is raising 
I know you just said it's across the board. They don't even draw a distinction. Do you think there's any, you know, when you view it, do you, can you see a, a situation where, well, yeah, they have a point there. I would feel uncomfortable if the roles were reversed and it was Republicans demanding the same information, similar information from Democrats. Do you see any, any merit to their argument? Uh, why would you put me in the position of trying to rationalize what the Trump legal strategy is? Yeah. Look, they they have a right to assert executive privilege, but uh, and I know that there's, I'm not a scholar on this particular question, but you have to do it in a manner that actually has rationale to it and is logical and, and makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it, there could be specific things that they could assert it towards, but the, the, the topics that you mentioned in the lead into this segment of the show today, you know, if we're talking about tax returns for which there is a specific statute, a law that says that the Treasury Secretary shall turn over that information, then no, there's no legitimate assertion of privilege. If we're talking about information that's already been shared with the special counsel investigation, which the special counsel regulations mm-hmm. state has to be turned over to the attorney general and then can in his discretion be turned over to congress but if he hides things that that triggers turning it over to congress that was like the release valve Mm -hmm. then no there's no executive privilege over that anymore and if it's anything else that they've asserted that they're not going to turn over at this point or filing lawsuits against to to stop banks from responding to legitimate subpoenas none of this is Mm -hmm. about executive privilege in fact i mean they're not even using that as their excuse for a lot of it they're saying if you look at the Mnuchin refusal, they're hanging it all on legitimate legislative purpose, that Congress doesn't have a, the power to investigate something for which there's not some kind of legislative purpose behind it. But that is almost a meaningless claim because Congress's power over the years has been, has in terms of investigative powers, has been broadened to include any and all of these things. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? Tax policy? Of course they have the power to investigate that. Uh, are we talking about whether or not there might be a counterintelligence investigation involving the president and if he obstructed that. Yeah, I think they have oversight power over that. I think there's legislative authority that could potentially lead to changes in the law about that. So it, it's a it's such a thin reed to be hanging on that they it should collapse. Well, I, I think your point that you made uh, earlier that uh, is the best one here in terms of uh, they're going to raise everything they can to drag this out, to keep it going for a long time. They want... Uh, if they drag it out long enough, the election will happen uh, and they will not have Donald Trump will not have turned the, uh, stuff over. So I think that's probably what they're doing. They're uh, dragging out the clock on this thing. Yeah. I mean, they don't know if they're going to win in 2020 or not, although I'm sure that they're expecting more assistance. But uh, in the meantime, the longer they can drag it out, they can they can claim it's unfair. And to the extent that it's possible, turn that into more of the victimhood. Um, oh, woe is me. Look at how look at how I'm always being attacked to drum up support from Donald Trump's base. All right, winning 2020. We're going to hold that off for a while because that gets into the Nancy Pelosi claim that came over the weekend, uh, which I immediately, I think I sent you the article as soon as it came out, or maybe you sent it to me, I can't remember, but uh, that she is, is warning Democrats that Donald Trump will resist uh, any loss if unless it's a, well, who knows, uh, unless it's an overwhelming mandate. But I'm going to go back to just something before we get into the politics of all this. One of the things McGahn did, Donald McGahn, the special, the, the lawyer to the White House, he took notes. I don't know if you saw this, but Donald Trump got, uh, it's in the Mueller report, got upset at him for taking notes. And he goes, great lawyers don't take notes. I'm paraphrasing. Roy Cohen never, Roy Cohen's, of course, uh, the sleazy lawyer from New York City that Donald Trump uh, hired back in the early 80s and late yep. 70s. Total sleazoid. Uh, Roy Cohen never took uh, notes. 
lawyers not taking notes? What's that all about? Uh, that is invoking this general mobby, mafioso kind of persona that Donald Trump wants or or has just adopted over the years by hanging around people like that. I mean, Roy Cohn was disbarred, so I wouldn't cite <laughs> his legal yeah. practice as like par excellence or how you're even supposed to do anything. More importantly, uh, the notes that were being taken were because, uh, this goes back to why, or the nature of that attorney-client relationship. I mean, if it was his personal lawyer and he said, listen, I wanna have a conversation with you, don't take any notes. First of all, that lawyer should reconsider whether they should stay in that room before they had that conversation. That goes to your trust of your own client. But Don McGahn wasn't advising him personally, so his assistant is there. Uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but she was a she's a conservative younger attorney who ended up getting a job as his assistant, uh, chief of staff, I think. And she's the person who took apparently copious notes, some of which the information was actually cited in the Mueller report, characterizing some of the things that were happening at some of those meetings. Um, of course, there's notes. And, and yeah, good lawyers take notes, particularly when you're trying to have a meeting and you're deriving some kind of policy from it or you're going to memorialize what was discussed because some kind of action has to be taken later on. Uh, arguably, this is part of historical record as well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I found it's very bizarre advice to give. I'm a, And part of it, we were talking about dyslexia. The only way I can... F- like keep track of a conversation is to take notes. So when if folks can't see this, but when Jim's talking, I'm taking notes on what Jim says. When Mark was talking, I'm taking notes on what Mark is saying. So it's just a strange piece of advice to give somebody. You can't take notes. Well, and you're talking about an attorney. I mean, it's like that. That's part of the culture is to try to record information because the whole point people expect that that those people are going that their attorneys are going to remember what happened that it's going to be accurate there's an obligation to create accurate records Mm -hmm. in order to represent your client even if your client is the white house and not the individual president and that's jim coogan our ace attorney from dwyer and coogan when we come back we'll take a little break come back we'll talk to politics of uh, this uh, wrangling between donald trump and the democrats we'll be right back after this Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. At Chicago and Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicago and Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicago and Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. 
Explore Cirque du Soleil Volta, a captivating voyage of discovery. Opens May 18th under the big top at Soldier Field. Buy your tickets now. All right, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Wait, I got to play this song. Hold on. We could edit this. It's fine. You know what I mean? It's all good. What about our listeners right now? Oh, oh the listeners want this too, all right? Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, <laughs> take us home. I love that song. Oh, man. I don't know where you found it, but it just makes me feel so good every yeah, time. It's just I hear in the it. library. All right. Uh, we still have, well, we got, we're going to keep him here a little while longer. Jim Coogan, uh, Mark Sims still in the studio. By the way, we made allusion, a reference to Roy Cohn, the sleazy lawyer from the 70s and the 60s, etc. I urge absolutely everybody to check out Angels in America. You can still see it somewhere. Uh, it's uh, Tony Kushner's play that deals uh, the character in the play, uh, Roy Cohn, played by Al Pacino, who hits the ball out of the park. Al Pacino kills it, Mark Sims, as Roy Cohn, the sleazy Roy Cohn. Before I go to Dennis, you got something you want? You know, first, I got I got I'm going to tell you about you. And I'm trying to park the car. Long story. I got to ask. Jim is so good. Jim Coogan is so good. I was watching this movie. And these guys are writing really, really good notes. It was a movie called All the President's, President's Men. Oh, you ever yeah. seen that movie? Now, Only it, about 400 now, times. Think about it. And guess what? i never seen it. I've seen parts. It is held up. It's a good movie. So I got to yeah. ask Jim, the lawyer, do you think Nixon knew anything about Watergate? <laughs> I mean, you'd have to go find some evidence, wouldn't you, to know the answer to that question? Because if you, I'm not going to give the movie away, but you know what I'm saying. You know, it's, that was a great movie. No, I, it's a great I, movie. I, I never watched it. Forty something year old movie, and it held up. Well, uh, let me just tell you this. I'm, I've said this on the air. I don't know if I ever told you, Jim. I'm, I got into journalism uh, in part because of that movie mm. and uh, the scenes between uh, Deep Throat, who is the operative for uh, the secret operative. We didn't know who's identity was was releasing information to uh woodward who was played by robert redford and was like oh man this is what i want to do i was young and impressionable and uh then it turned out years later that uh, deep throat was actually mark feld uh one of the the number two man at the fbi and he was not motivated so much in my humble opinion when i've read the story by uh the the need to uh, expose corruption he was trying to manipulate the process so that Nixon would appoint him as the head of the FBI in the aftermath of J. Edgar Hoover not uh, uh, dying. And so, like, oh, my God, I sh- I, all the wrong reasons I went into journal. I should have been a lawyer. <laughs> man, I got to go, man. Baby, uh, hold me. Uh, Listen, I'm, I'm at the United. I parked the car at the United States. Yeah, okay. And I put a sign that said, Ben loves the bulls. You yeah. think my car is still there? Yeah, no, it's been towed about an hour ago. You're the man, man. All right, yeah. Mark Sims has left the building. You got <laughs> Like Mark Sims. Mark Sims has left. Uh, do you man. got an update for us? Absolutely, I do. Two things here. First off, once again, everybody, tonight. See you, Mark. Bye, Bye Mark. All right. <laughs> tonight, Tuesday, May 7th, at the hideout, 1354 West Wabonzia off Elston and, and uh, between North Avenue and Ashland. It's Ben Jarofsky and Mick Dumkey's monthly first Tuesday show. Starts at 6.30 tonight. So if you're listening live right now or on the download before 6.30, well, come hang out. Check it out. Ben has lined up two fantastic fantastic guest the 32nd ward alderman scott waggis pack and i'm going to try and channel my inner ben jarofsky here and 49th ward alderman uh 49th uh alder woman 
Haddon. Ah, Maria Haddon. Maria Haddon will Very be there good, yeah. as well. So go check it out. And uh, hey, who knows? If uh, you tell him you heard the Ben Jarofsky show, maybe Ben will buy a few drinks. <laughs> a Dr. few. Dr. D will be there and he'll be buying drinks for everybody. Oh, yeah, my broke ass. All right. So, and uh, we do have a quick update here. Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign has unveiled sweeping new guidelines to combat sexual misconduct and discrimination among his campaign team. The move comes after months of talks with former staffers who felt mistreated Mm -hmm. during the senator's 2016 White House bid. The 17-page document, a copy of which was seen by The Guardian, is the result of an effort to reckon with a culture Sanders has acknowledged was, quote, too white in two mail. It draws on the experiences of former staffers as well as research and industry best practices to compile what the authors hope will serve as a blueprint for other candidates and campaigns. That's that Bernie bro stuff that was going down in 2016 where, uh, man, there was there was such hostility uh, expressed by some of Bernie's supporters uh, to Hillary Clinton. And then it turned out in the aftermath, not only was there ex- uh, hostility expressed toward Hillary Clinton, the candidate, but there was some hostility expressed toward uh, women who were working for the campaign. So Bernie's got to deal with that uh, as he goes forward this year. So, uh, all right, uh, Jim Coogan uh, in the studio with me from Dwyer and Coogan, our um, expert on the legal aspects of Donald Trump. And I alluded to this before we went to break, Jim. Uh, over the weekend, Nancy Pelosi, but I, she gave an interview, I think, I, or maybe it was a speech, but she was warning Democrats that, in her opinion, Donald Trump would in all likelihood uh, vigorously resist a, an election that turned against him. And he would claim that it was rigged. And he was, she was raising the notion that uh, Donald Trump um, would just not leave office. Uh, what, what are your thoughts of all that? Well... My initial thought is that whether it's now, in the next month, in the next five months, in this early, in this immediate period where the the House of Representatives will be attempting to conduct an investigation into the into the president and into the illegal activities that are explicitly outlined in the Mueller report, or if it's 2020, we have now he he's kind of Donald Trump has pushed this issue to a head that the country is going to be passing on a referendum on whether we want to keep the constitutional democracy that we've had. That's what I think is going on. Because um, the con- even just the fact that someone would, f- would have the question and anybody else would respond and think, well, that's not a crazy thought, that the president would refuse to leave office unless there was a large enough margin of victory, that is just completely unconstitutional. That's It's just, it's so deeply... Um, contrary to all American values and the shared governmental experience that we we're all a part of it I mean there may be a lot of voter apathy out there but it's still we the people so um, I think that that her counsel about that that it's people you know she's trying to be careful she's trying to triangulate a little bit trying to deal with a very diverse caucus not all of which are progressive uh, you know strong bold liberals who mm-hmm. are forthrightly in favor of impeachment and want a Green New Deal and want to protect the environment and and want Medicare for all. She's got a lot of those folks, but she's got people in very conservative districts who managed to win because they came off as serious politicians in an era of noise and nonsense. And those people are more, those uh, congressmen right now, when their candidates up in 2020 are a little bit more concerned about 
becoming uh, sounding too zealous about impeachment so she's trying to wrangle all those folks and she's counseling them to be we're going to be careful we're going to be conservative in how we approach this uh we don't want to go off the deep end because she she's calculating that to keep a wide enough swath the the way that they won in 2018 can win them back the house again who knows how that, that impacts the senate and support whoever the candidate is for the the democrats that whoever that person is whether it's joe biden kamala harris or or whoever that that person can also capture more than just a base and if you take an independent a good chunk of independence in this country you're going to be the president Mm -hmm. well you you raise uh throughout this show today you've been raising some very compelling legal issues uh that deal with that overriding point uh, keeping a constitutional democracy that we have. And that essentially is at the heart of this dispute between the Congress, uh, the legislative branch, and Trump, the executive branch. Uh, what's your sense about how the population as a whole views it? Do you think people see it in those funda- in fundamental terms that you laid it out? Or do you think there's a fear, the possibility that people would think the Democrats are being unfair to the president? Uh, I think there's a concern. I have a personal concern that there will be a perception that Democrats are being histrionic or that I'm being extreme and uh, taking it too far when I even bring up the point. But if you really think about it, if you have, take your take the example of right now, it only takes one of the houses of Congress to be complicit and basically say, well, whatever the president wants, we're going to go along with it. And then suddenly you don't have any checks or balances anymore. And I don't know how far this president will continue to take this, but what? Why would once this precedent has been set, how could any Congress ever assert any sort of independent check on the president ever again once it's gone? Uh, maybe if you have a president who's a Republican and the House and Senate are both Democrat, Democratic, you could legitimately bring up impeachment or, or, or bring it up in a way that it might sustain a little bit more life in the Senate once you impeach the president and they have a trial. But right now, they're being curtailed in their ability to even have an investigation of the president. So if it, if it, if it undermines the first, the, the Article One of the Constitution, and they can't actually do their jobs, then it's no longer three co-equal branches of government and you've destroyed the system that was set up in the Constitution. I mean, after the first three articles, the rest of it's just a lot of stuff that kind of sets up the, the, the bones upon mm-hmm. which the rest of the government is created. Uh, but those, but if, you, if you throw that balance off and if you make it so that the people's house, you know, the, thing, the, the group that represents the most uh, diverse viewpoints and, it, and has local roots in each state and in each congressional district, then it simply can't be America the way we've always expected it to be. All right. Now, before we head out the door, uh, you you talked about uh, the three branches of government. So we've already uh, talked about the congressional investigation of Donald Trump and his resistance of that. The third branch, of course, is judicial, and they'll probably be the judges who decide what Donald Trump has to turn over, what uh, is public, uh, should that the Congress has a right to see. Uh, and of course, ultimately, that decision will be made by the Supreme Court, two of whose members were appointed by Donald Trump. And I know previously we've talked at great length over the years about Donald Trump's uh, Supreme Court appointee. So looking in your crystal ball before we head out the door, do you have any sense of where the third branch of government, how the third branch will weigh in on this? Um, Putting my cynicism aside 
for some of the issues, they are so straightforward that I'm hopeful that there will be five votes, if not more, but probably just five, uh, to uphold, for example, the mandate that the Treasury Secretary has to turn over records. They could make new law or you know, reassert an 1883 case that has explicitly been ruled that has been overturned that gave, you know, said that there was more discretion for the Treasury Secretary. But um, I'm hopeful that that wouldn't happen because that would be the definition of activist and partisan uh, judiciary. Ironic. Um, yeah. But there's other issues where when it comes to criminal contempt, where I don't know how you even get to that point because you don't have a Justice Department that would actually execute those cases. I believe that if I'm using a crystal ball here, and this is a little deviation from your question, I would say what's more likely is that William Barr will be impeached sometime in the near future because he's going to force that issue. He's not going to turn over information. He's not going to cooperate. And they only there's there's three options with with it when it comes to contempt. There's something called congressional inherent contempt, and I don't know if you've seen this. It's popped up in the news lately, um, but that's something that hasn't been evoked in like 90 years. Okay, so without the Justice Department's as, assistance to carry that case through and and actually bring a contempt case in front of a judge, Congress can't even enforce the failure to comply with subpoenas. I mean, that's how subpoenas work. You know, most people, you get a subpoena, you respond to it. But if you push the issue and give them your proverbial middle finger and just don't respond to it, then there has to be a judicial enforcement of that. Well, without a Justice Department that's actually going to do the work, suddenly you've you've undermined the whole function of the system. So I don't, I would be, number one, the reason I say that, and I know it's a little bit seems a little bit shocking, but I can't imagine why William Barr would suddenly change course and start working with House Democrats and working to enforce subpoenas against a president that he has clearly promised that he will help in any way he possibly can, regardless of whether it's legal. Oh, my goodness. So then uh, talk about dragging out the clock, impeaching Barr uh, over his uh for his refusal to turn over documents that relate to an investigation of Trump. You can't impeach Trump until you've finished the bar impeachment. That would definitely drag, that would be the definition of dragging out the clock. I mean, it's one of the reasons why this the strategic decision is so difficult. Do you impeach them both at the same time? Do you go straight to the president? You know, we're 18 months away or something from November, but it's gonna be here before you know it. I, I don't. I don't know what the most effective way to do it is, but with this level of contempt, and mm. I mean contempt in the legal sense and in the personal sense, the level of contempt that you could see from this attorney general, uh, their hand is being forced. And they can't, I, I firmly believe that this group, no matter how difficult it is, cannot just concede, give in and say, well, you know, we don't even have the legal levers here. We couldn't, we couldn't get a conviction in the Senate if we tried, so let's not do this because if that were the case, what was the point of even electing a, a Democratic House? What are you guys there for? Absolutely. Uh, I, I actually agree with you on that point. Nancy Pelosi may have a little different opinion, or maybe she's just being strategic in how she's playing. I get a feeling she's being very strategic. I, I agree on uh, that. I think she's yeah, just being very cautious and playing that game where, uh, you know, well, I can't really control this wild bunch over here, but I, I wanted to be prudent. <laughs> uh, anyway, Jim Coogan, it's always a blast talking uh, these issues with you, and I know you're going to be coming back real soon. Lord knows what 
what the world will look like in about a month or so. So thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. And uh, Mark Sims, I want to thank him. He is uh, heading off to get his car before it gets towed. Hope he's. Uh, I hope I'm lucky in that. Yeah. Uh, I drove here too. Good lord, maybe my car's. I'll see Mark at the uh, towing zone later tonight. And uh, Maya was here earlier today. She was on fire, as always. Great job by Maya. I want to thank Miles Porter for doing the outstanding job he always does uh, as our show's editor. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend. The man who makes it all work. Pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. They call him the White Lightning. <laughs> You're the only one that calls me that. White Lightning because he's so fast. And the ladies all love for his body. This mine. The doctor. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and bonus Benny J interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com. Check out those bonus interviews. Stacey Davis-Gaith, Ken Davis, and West Virginia gubernatorial candidate Stephen Smith. And be sure to check out Bid at the Hideout tonight, 1354 West Wabonzi. It starts at 630. Scott Waggis Pack and Maria Haddon.